here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Krejci alongside, as always, the king of banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? You know, we've been beating up the young boy because he professed his love for uh, females wearing overalls, which um, sounds completely absurd to me, and I I know you're not on board with that either. uh, I am not team overall, no. It's a bad look. I mean, just from a... From a male perspective, uh, you know, I admit, did, did, we do not enjoy the overalls on the ladies. No, yeah, and if, if people are wondering where this conversation started, it started with a, uh, a discussion of rompers versus summer dresses, and I was just completely, I, I, I couldn't believe that anybody in the world, you know, male or, or female, you know, anybody would, would, would choose rompers over the sundress, and that was just like, it was unbelievable to see that. And then we got Gabe who jumped in and said, what is a romper, which is the most Gabe thing ever. And that's why Twitter is the greatest thing ever. It's both, Twitter's both the greatest and the worst thing ever because you can have a discussion about rompers versus sundresses. And, and only on Twitter right. can, can you have Gabe a conversation. Sapolsky. Can Gabe <laughs> right. Sapolsky ask you what a romper is and then Angelus Lane answers. So – <laughs> right like that's it's the both it's both the best and the worst thing in the world is twitter but that that right there was was a, was a golden moment uh in twitter and, and joe a little bit of an aside before we get to the stuff here have you ever had a bird in your house you know okay so because i just got done with that and that took like an hour and a half to get this fucking bird out of my house so that's why i told you i had to go a little bit late because we leave like a back door open uh, for the dogs to go in and out and kind of do whatever and so I'm walking around the house, and all of a sudden, I'm, like, hearing something weird. I'm, like, what the hell's going on? And, like, the dogs are kind of being weird. I'm, like, all right, what, what's going on here? And I look, and there's a goddamn bird in my house, and I couldn't get the thing out of here. It's funny you mention that because every spring, uh, these birds will build a nest on my, uh, on my, on my porch. And... Yeah, I have the same thing. I have a deck, and they're, they're like, they, they grab the gutters right by the deck, and they just always put – and I'm, like, I, built, I put a birdhouse, like, legitimately, like, two feet away from there, so they would go to the birdhouse, and nah, they don't care about the birdhouse. So. Yeah, and it's, it's right under my front door, but the thing is, I, I literally never use my front door because I go in and out of the house through the garage. And um, so I let the birds do their thing. I don't bother them. I don't knock the nest down. Um, and I, I kind of like watching – the, the like the, the the circle of life, you know. I like watching the, the I like watching the birds hatch, you know. I like watching the bird the, them feed the baby birds, you know, with their little mouths coming up. I enjoy that, you know. I'll look out my window and watch that. So I leave them alone. 
But like you, one time I forgot and I had my front door open or something and I left it open. And I did have a bird, one of the adult birds flew into my house. And um, because they're they're protective. If you go out there, they start circling the nest. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So it did fly into my house. But I was lucky because it just made a quick U-turn and was like, I don't want to be in here with these fucking dogs and just went right back out. Now, it sounds like you got stuck with the bird in your house. Yes, and then it was impossible to try to fish it out of there because I like I had the back door open and and the bird was freaking out. The bird knew it didn't want to be here. It, it didn't know how to get out or whatever. And like trying to get this thing to because I knew once if I got it to my back room that it would it would know. Oh, the door is open. I will go there. But it was like in my bedroom and it's like on my fans and it's all. And I'm, I'm just trying. And the dogs are going nuts because they can see it. Then like because then they saw it and then because I knew they were acting weird or whatever. And then when they knew, oh my god, what is this thing that's in here? Because they like to chase birds in the backyard or whatever. That's kind of fun for them. But then it was in the house, and they were they weren't weren't having it. So this thing, I had to get like a stick out. I had my baseball bat, and I'm trying to like because I don't want to hurt the thing, and like I don't want the thing, you know, to go nuts. Hold on, wait, you didn't want to hurt the thing, but the first thing you grabbed was a baseball bat. Well, it's a. I'm trying to find something that I had like. Well, I guess I could have grabbed like a broom or something like that. I had a baseball bat near me. I wasn't I wasn't swinging it while I was just kind of like poking near it, like to try to get it. So this ends ends with you caving in the skull of this bird. That's how this ends. No, no, no. it, it, It left. It left. It went back to its its nest slash house. You know, you're lucky I, you I, got it out because sometimes it's it's really impossible to get a bird. Out. Well, if, I'm glad I don't have a bigger house because if it like went upstairs or whatever. Uh, luckily, I have like a one floor house, so there wasn't a problem. Like all I had to do was like there was like five rooms that it could possibly be in. Right. But if it's in like multiple floors or I have a garage or whatever, forget it. Like I, or a basement. There's no way that thing was gonna get out of a basement. Like, there was no way I'd get it down the stairs. Like this, all I had to do was like fish it. What I would do is like I'd uh, I'd fish it out of a room. Joe, are you still with me? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry. I had a connection problem. You're good. You're good. Everybody's good. All right. Uh, so I would, like, fish it out of a room, and then I would consider that room, like, done. And then I would, like, close the door behind me. But then it would go to the next room, and I had to get it out of that room and then close that. Until eventually there was no other rooms for it to go in. And then it would go out the back door. So that, that was the unfortunate uh, bird fest that I had <laughs> before. So that's why I'm a little late to talk to you today and, and, and uh, get on this podcast going. It but sounds like back. a wacky sitcom scenario that you were in yeah that's what i was i was kind of like this is stupid like what is going on here? all you and were like, missing was like your wacky neighbor to make an entrance without knocking of course because they yeah like just barge in hey what's going that's on that's right like, oh, i heard you have a bird in the house yes like, and then the bird swoops towards the wacky neighbor um, and him and i kind of figure out like a, a very complicated way to get the bird out that that doesn't really work all that well but you know it, it's and you know how hilarity it ends, ensues that's yeah. right because you both it ends up with you guys just hitting each other in the face with tennis rackets <laughs> that's how it ends and the bird is just you know you can't laughing cackling in the corner yeah that's right so that's how it ends. who would be your wacky neighbor does sean flynn live near you uh sean flynn does not live anywhere near me i mean he lives in the same state as me and, and near the same city but no sean flynn lives that's about good enough because you always, you're always telling me oh joe go off to el paso to this wrestling <laughs> so, to, so i don't think i've ever told you to go to el paso you, i know where el paso you definitely is. told me to go to amarillo. amarillo i told you to go to amarillo yeah, yeah you, you've 1000 percent said joe why don't you go to amarillo that was last week i need to book a flight for that but so i bet you you live closer to sean flynn than i live to amarillo how that is that is true yes yeah i'm trying to think of anybody else you would know that um that lives anywhere near me i, I don't think you do yeah i'm trying to think of anybody that's involved with the website that lives and we're close my, my neighbors are there's like one guy he's like four years younger than me um and and he doesn't really care about anything he just kind of like goes and lifts weights and and lives in his house by himself uh, no he's got his lady he's got his lady wait there do now. you so live near dr girlfriend. keith lipinski 
Um, no, he's he's like in the Sean Flynn. No, actually, no, no, he's not near the. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, f- sort I of. feel like Doctor Keith Lipinski would make a great wacky neighbor. That would be. You know, you're not wrong. That would be great. You know why? Yeah, because like... he's got that. He's got that clean sense of humor that you'd see on a sitcom, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't hear that man dropping f bombs, at least not publicly. Maybe in the back somewhere. Maybe if you get a couple beers in him. But he's got like that clean sense of humor. I could totally see him. He's kind of a jovial guy, right, Doctor Keith? Lipinski, so he can be the. I think he would make a good wacky name, right? It would work out with because he's got like a he's got an interesting look. He looks like a like a sitcom. That's guy, right. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he's like kind of tall. He's kind of lanky or whatever. Like he'd fit very well as like the wacky uh, neighbor. You're right. I, this is this is good. Can't you this see Doctor Keith Lipinski just entering your house without knocking, like you know, and just and to a chorus of cheers from <laughs> right, <laughs> that no one knows where they're coming from. Like, can't you just see that? And then hit you in the face with a tennis racket as he tries to help you chase the bird out of the house. Yeah, he's got kind of a Wilson vibe to him, too. You know, he's a very, he's kind of the, he is the god of, uh, like, wrestling podcasts, really, if we think about it. You know he's what I mean? Like the, the wise, yeah. He is. So he's a kind of the one of the wise, sage, older, you know, guys that can kind of lead us. You know, we're all wacky and we're all doing our stuff. And he's like, no, well, you know, back in my day we did this. You know, he made good with it, too. You know, he's got a big, big time job with the big time company you know he's doing doctor well. keith and joe gagney and uh mike sempervivi and adam summers those are the guys those guys were doing podcasts i talked about this with semp a few weeks ago before they were even called podcast rich they they didn't even have names for these things they were just you know recording audio on 56k and uploading it for seven hours and and uh those are really the godfather of wrestling podcasts was wrestling like one of the first hobbies to take advantage of like that type of audio i don't i can't like late 90s was there any yeah i'm not sure yeah i don't i don't, I don't know if particularly but i know even when i was first getting on like aol or whatever i was finding like uh, yeah i don't know what the hell you called them then but like audio things of like i think it was either wade keller was doing it i know uh dave melcher did those like iata shows or whatever like yeah. these weird like little startups and i remember even as like you know when i was 12 13 or whatever listening to some of these things on, on there had no idea what they were but it was like this little I, i'd call them radio shows i guess like radio shows online radio shows or whatever and i remember a few of those you know popping up so yeah probably i mean i, I don't know because that's what i obsessed over at the time was was wrestling so that's at least i knew but i'd imagine that it, it's always been i mean pro wrestling is that's what's unique about it people love listening to other people talk about wrestling like we're so passionate about it that that's just the thing that we we like to consume. So I think Wade Keller's still recording on fifty six K, right? Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. I don't know. The last time I listened, it was pretty bad. I haven't listened to. It's not. It hasn't improved. It's <laughs> really. It, it sounds like like he's on two cans and a string, and Bruce Mitchell's on like a payphone. Like it, 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 the last time I listened, it was <laughs> just putting quarters in every <laughs> minute. Oh god damn it! Like, it's costing thirty seven dollars every time he needs to do a podcast in the middle of the conversation. You hear quarter <laughs> right. clank. You know what I mean? But but I, I don't know. Wade, Wade calls him collect. Can you still call people collect? Have you ever tried? Like I don't I even. Think you can. I'm gonna I'm gonna try I it think here. You can. Time. You can do it on Skype. I'm almost positive you'd call someone collect because um, I had a – well, this is going back a couple of years, but – Because you have like international. Would it still be like the similar to international or well, – No, because they still call collect from prisons. Oh, okay. Well, so perfect. let me not tell that – forget that. I was going to tell a story. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't finish that story. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. sure they still have to call collect from prisons. If any of our listeners uh, – uh, Are in prison or actively in prison, that'd be – Or, a... you know – know someone in prison that gives them a call now and then on the old you know collect line while 
you know, the other inmates are patiently waiting to use the, the, the one phone, let us know. I'm pretty sure you can still make a collect call, though. There's actually a, a pay, there's a couple pay phones in town here. Do you have pay phones? Where you... We don't. We have, like, the shells of old pay phones, like, are still kind of hanging around a little bit. But, yeah, I don't think we actively have any pay phones. the casing is still there. Right, yeah. And, then, like, I'm sure kids are like, what is a Meritech? Like, we have, they always say, like, a Meritech on them, and, that, you know, Meritech's long gone or whatever. But, uh, yeah, we were actually, we were doing a tour of, um, my wife and I were in Charleston. South Carolina or whatever and we're like doing like a ghost tour at night or whatever and and our our tour guy was like jokingly like oh and here's you know the, the ghost of of the past it's a, a you know a, a payphone or whatever and like this one little girl who's maybe like I don't know nine or ten or whatever gets like really weird and starts like you know tugging on her her mom's like shirt and is like whispering in her ear or whatever and the the lady then says and she's kind of laughing and she goes sir can you let my daughter know what this is because my daughter has no clue whatsoever what it is. And so we're all kind of laughing because most of us are old. She's like the only real young one. So the tour guide says, well, what do you think it is? And this girl just like throws out these like wild things. And he's like, no, you had to like pay people to make a call. And, and it like it was impossible. You couldn't tell her what it was. Right. You know what I mean? Like there was no way to actually tell her that you used to have to put like coins in a thing to call. Like she just wouldn't. It, it, it couldn't wrap her head around it. Those damn founders, Rich. They don't know. <laughs> She she was just like completely like what well why did you have to put quarters in like why she couldn't understand like the fundamental purpose of like entering currency into a thing into a box to make a call it was like the she couldn't do were it pagers a thing for you or were you too young I was a little too young I, I knew some people that had pagers but, you but it was too, like you were too young to own one I was too young to own one yeah like some of my friends had one and it was really stupid like one of my friends did and like, it was like a really rich friend that had it and it was like well, what are you doing man like. And, like, occasionally, like, his dad, and it's like, well, what's the purpose? Yay, cool, your dad is calling your pager, good to know. Like, so I think he would do that if like, we were at the park or whatever, and he had to go home or something like that. But I was like, just, like, come on, like, they, tell your kid to come home in an hour. They like, were the very first electronic leashes if you had a girlfriend, like, because then you couldn't, there was no more excuses, because she could page you, you know? And then you had to go on, like, a scavenger hunt for a payphone, and then you had to find change to use the payphone. And then, you know... All right, can you hear that? I can. I can hear that. Let's give a... What on earth are you doing? I'm trying to call 1-800-COLLECT here. It's not not working very well. You're, okay, so. you're, you're trying to use one... That I that can't <laughs> possibly exist. <laughs> it does, apparently. 1-800-COLLECT? Yeah, that, that's what my entire... Yeah, I was, I was going to see if uh, 1-800-COLLECT is still indeed around, and, and it is. So, I don't know. This is, <laughs> this is this wild. This is a big decision. We can get someone on the line here. Uh, well, if they well, I mean, and they're going to pay for it, which is even better. <laughs> um. Did you ever do the? Uh, I was classic at the like um, collect call from you know my I'd call my parents to come pick me up, and it was like, do you want to accept a collect call from like dad pick me up? Like, and then just stop and. Oh, and my dad would, you know, he'd never accept the call, but he knew that it was me calling him to pick him up or whatever. Like, Case Low hears this, and he's he's got to just be completely dumbfounded by what that's we're doing the here. That's call hustle. You see, yeah, you know that hustle. I'm sure you, you did. You've so, yeah. got three seconds to say everything you need to say, <laughs> right. so you learn how to just say things really fast. You know, uh, Dad, pick me up at the mall. You know, and yeah, they right, come to the exactly. mall and they pick you up. You know, without anyone having to pay for the call, and you really think you're pulling one over on the phone company. But yeah, pagers were bad news if you, because then you're, you know, there was no excuses. You couldn't like before pagers. Like if you weren't think about, like if you weren't home, people couldn't get in touch with you. You know what I mean? Like once you leave the house, you were in the wild. You know, and there's no way anyone could know what you were up to unless they randomly ran into you in the wild. But then pagers changed all that. 
pagers now that you know your girlfriend can get in touch and now you better find that payphone and you better call her back or you're dead meat you know what i mean and in the pager era people would put their phone numbers and if it was really important they'd add 911 to the end of the right? so then you'd run be like oh my god what's going on right you run you find the payphone you're scrapping for change right you make your there's three people that's the other thing there'd be lines at these pages. <laughs> yeah, right. once once pagers became a thing payphones they did great business because then there'd be lines of people just standing there looking at their pagers waiting to use the payphone screaming at each other and then you call your girlfriend who put 911 you're like what's the problem what's going on you need me to pick you up what's happening and she's like, no, I just want to know, what are you doing tonight? What are you doing? And you're like, well, that's <laughs> improper usage of the 911. And then people just started abusing the 911. And then you just – like it became a thing. Like every page would con- then contain the 911. And then there was this one, Rich. People got real creative with the pagers, and they would type certain combinations of numbers to, to where if you flipped it upside down. Oh, like boobs? You got boobs in there or whatever? The old. Well, I mean, yeah, if you were eight. But I oh. it would spell like <laughs> people figured out how to spell words on the pager, so then you wouldn't have to call them back, and it got very creative. Like it, it you know, so they did a nice job with that. But then uh, the pager era probably only lasted what like five years max before so. Yeah, the pager was in and out like real fast. Yeah, and, and nobody really knew about it. Nobody cared, and, and it was gone. And, and um, okay, hold on one sec here. Oh, this is a mystery call. Who are you calling? Collect here. I'm just I'm just calling one hundred collect. See what happens. Oh, one sec. Let's find out. There's there's it doesn't exist, Rich. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Maybe Skype's not too good about calling eight hundred numbers. I mean, it's dialing. Oh, is it? I don't hear anything on my end. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I think when I think when. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they shut it off in, in 2002. I think when so. Lee Marshall died, so did Andrew Collect. So <laughs> yes. I, I don't think. <laughs> I love watching those old. Uh, he's definitely just in the arena, like, oh, hey, Tony, I'm here, and, you know, like Palm Beach, Florida. We're uh, watching Nitro. <laughs> I didn't go through. Who you need? See, you should have called Sapolsky on, on the Collect and accepted the charts. <laughs> he would not have accepted Yeah, and then we, no, Gabe would just, not have accepted Why not? We get Gabe on. No, we can no, ask him about the Big Evolve weekends coming up. Is there Are there Big Evolve weekends? I don't even know. <laughs> not right now. But, I'm going to the next Big Evolve weekend. We're coming to Chicago. Oh, there you go. See? I'm doing the double dip. I'm doing the Evolve NXT double dip. Let's call Gabe Collect and see if he... <laughs> He's not going to accept the Collect call. Wait, I you never know. I can't get this thing to work. I'll have to use 1010321 or something like that. To... Well, I don't even remember that one. Those are all the – if you watch any Attitude Era – I know you were asking for uh, Attitude Era recommendations on our forums. Yes. Uh, and every single – like legitimately every, from 1999 to 2001, every single WWE pay-per-view was sponsored by some 1010 number. Do you remember those? You had to call, you had to do 1010-220, 1010-321. The same thing. It was the like same collect-call type deal. But, like, yeah, you would have to – for whatever goddamn reason, have to do 1010 – and then that number, and then it would be able to call collect or something like that. I have, I have no clue. I don't remember that at all, man. Ten ten, no, I don't, I don't remember. You don't remember the ten tens? Okay, don't. that was a. I re- see one eight hundred collect was a thing too. It was a new thing too because previous to that, you just had to call the operator to make a collect call. You just have to dial zero, and they like. Well, I wasn't alive in the fifties like you, so I don't. I don't. Well, yeah, you get on your rotary phone and you dial zero, <laughs> right. and 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 the operator would be at her giant switchboard. With her... <laughs> I just constantly. No, no, but really, you would call. You'd press zero because 
pressing zero used to serve a lot of functions. Like, I don't even know. Does anyone press zero anymore? Does that even, does that work? You can't do that though. Cause like the cops are going to come to your house. But like, if you would press zero, right. An operator would come on and she'd be like, all right, what do you want? Well, <laughs> in New Jersey, they would say that. Everyone else, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. All right. What do you want? Like, yeah, how can I help you? And then you, well, I'm going to put zero on. Oh, why does zero call? Oh, oh calls Michelle Bricky. Okay. never mind. It calls my wife when I dial zero. I don't know why that is, but that's not good. Now you're calling your wife. All right, well, so I guess zero serves no function anymore. Doesn't serve a fun- See, you used to be able to dial zero. The operator come on. She'd be like, what do you want? You'd be like, look, I want to make a collect call. She'd be like, all right, give me the number. You know, that's how it worked. And, and or, or, you know, or you'd ask her for a phone number, you know, pre-Google. You'd have to call the operator and say, yeah, what's the, uh, what's the phone number to Pizza Hut or whatever the fuck, you know, if you're trying to order a pizza or something. Or what's the number to Rich Kreich in Chicago? And they would give you that information, you know, that, that, that but now you can't even dial zero anymore. You know, you never dialed zero, huh? No, here I'm. I'm doing this 100 collect. Let's see what. Oh, you just won't give up. Oh. Thank you for calling 1800 collect, powered by Ymactel. Now we can also assist you in making collect calls to wireless numbers. Ooh. For rate information, please wait for instructions. Oh. For English assistance, press one now. I'm good. Para recibir asistencia en español, marque el dos. Oh, let's call Gabe. Oh, sh- let's call Gabe in Spanish. Hold on, I'll dial it in. Hold on. Oh, I can't do it because you started. You, you started. Yeah, it's it's no, it's actually it's on my actual phone because I, I think Skype doesn't. Oh, uh, I got you. I think Skype did not like the idea of me calling collect on their service. So. <laughs> Poor Gabe, just at home trying to enjoy a nice meal with his family with his kid. He always calls yeah. it his kid. <laughs> my kid. He's like my kid. My kid started first grade today. I like that. That's some East Coast stuff right there, you know? Not my child, not my son, my kid. It's my kid. I like that. Call him up. All right, we got we we have plenty. I'm not calling Gabe. We'll call we'll call Gabe next week. How about the, then we're a little bit close. Then we can actually almost talk about the evolution. I want you to call him collect with the Spanish and just to see because will we be able to hear his voice on the other end, like react? I don't think the- if they if they don't accept it, then you won't. I, I'm guessing that if we like because I guess w- w- would we say, you know, would I say Rich Crate, voices of wrestling? Old school, you'd hear the person on the other end, like declining or accept. You Oh really? Yeah. Okay, okay. They would yeah, answer the that, phone, you know, and then then you would hear the <laughs> you couldn't talk they couldn't hear you they could hear then the automated like voice would go or the the operator would say yeah you have a collect call from uh from joe and then they would say you know they'd either hang up on her or they'd accept the call so um yeah gabe's probably not the best person to do that with huh no i don't know if he'd find that very funny no yeah then we wouldn't (laughs) well i mean is he currently mad at us anyway because that kind of swings uh i think he's okay no he's okay with us today right now he's all right with us yeah so i uh, we might as well keep the momentum going for a little bit if people haven't noticed we don't have a ton of topics this week (laughs) we kind of do though but yeah not really no we 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 don't that's why we just spent 15 minutes talking about collect calls and doing the we're very old podcast where we just complain and bitch about Hey, he's payphones. Yeah, he was a payphone. This all started with overalls, and I gotta tell overalls at the bird in my house. Rom- I don't know how the rompers stink too. That's the other rompers thing. are the worst. Yeah, let's be like it, it, especially like hearing that. Like, I understand maybe if you have a terrible thought about that in like January or whatever, because you forget what sundresses look like. But we're we're in the midst of sundress season around you know the country. They're coming out. They're reappearing or whatever. The fact that you would say anything over sundresses, including rompers of all things, rompers are the worst. You know, I I um. 
all the all the all the overall talk, I contacted one of my ex girlfriends who's heavily involved in the fashion industry, because I could not believe what I was hearing that these overalls. It's a thing now. Back. Yeah. Did she did she uh, did she confirm that? Sadly, she confirmed it. She says overalls yeah. are are a thing now once again, particularly among uh, um, um, younger aged women, and it's this is not good, Rich, because overalls are not a good look. Um, I, I don't want to see them. I'm I'm not interested in them. But uh, she confirmed that they're a thing. She also confirmed that rompers stink. So okay, good. A, All right, good. Woman. There's a person. That's a good lady right there. Well, her yeah. thing is the romper isn't for everyone because if you have a long torso or a really short torso, it doesn't work. Like if you have the short torso and you know the bigger thighs or the bigger ass, they're gonna crawl up your butt. If you have the long torso, it just doesn't look right. She's not a fan of the romper. She says, basically, yeah, unfortunately, that hasn't stopped many of the people that I've seen wear rompers, and that, that is one of the issues. Because yeah, there's a certain body type where they look okay, they look fine, but then there's like the body type that most people have, and yeah, normal, they, they look terrible. Yeah, like, like the normal body type that most you know women have. Normal humans and that is, can't yeah. pull off the romper properly. No, that. yeah, you got to be like six foot four and like ninety pounds, and then maybe you can make it work, or you know, what I mean? like I got, one of those listen, types. But and I got more than I bought bargain for when I because she went on a romper rant I mean she oh wow mad. okay all right good I'm glad she hates blasted yeah. the romper and and complained and said they're not for it is a bad look it doesn't look good it looks good on one percent of women she was so not a fan of the romper but I'm all with it I'm not a fan of the romper either I think it stinks it's not as bad as the overalls the overalls are I think we have bad memories of the overalls because they represented bad times in fashion for us when they were, uh, you know, in style in the past. Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, they were all over the place. The, the good thing is, though, that usually they go away, like, very quickly. And, and that's actually, I, I was talking to, to Michelle about that, because I saw a bunch of, like, there was, we were in some store or whatever, and I saw, like, a section of overalls. And then I saw, like, two girls walk up and, like, buy overalls while they were still wearing overalls. And I'm like, what the hell? I was like, I was like, that's not that old a you know what I mean? Like, I guess I had to sort of think about that myself is like, you know, some fashion will come back from, you know, 30 years ago. Okay. Well, this is back now you know, this thing that hasn't been around for 40 years is now back or whatever. But I feel like the overalls didn't go along, uh, go away for long enough to come back already. But maybe that's just me getting old and not realizing that it had been a while, but still it only felt like what, 15 years or so since the, the, the overalls were, were in the first time. That's not enough. I think, I think you got to at least make it 20. There years. were several distinct eras of overalls. There was the crisscross hip hop era of overalls with the one strap down, which was terrible. And that's when men were wearing them too. That was just a horrendous look. And then uh, they went away for a couple of years and then came right back. Like in the early to mid nineties, you know, remember Rachel on friends was rocking the overall look. All of, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and every, everybody did what she did. I mean, everyone that was like, did. They all had her haircut and they all ran around right? with her overalls. Okay. I mean, I dated many Rachel greens. Okay. Trust me, <laughs> including the girl I just talked to who's the fashion expert. So, uh, you know, so yeah, but it, it, it was never, I was never comfortable with the overall look. I was never on board with it. So I did. I, I don't know. This is bad though, Rich. Cause I, it was confirmed. Listen, yeah. I, 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 I don't think you have to worry about your age group, though. Well, then again, your age group is uh, not necessarily. You know <laughs> what? You, know, you have a wide net. So I'll just listen, say, so. that's Sean Sloan's gimmick. I don't no, get... I'm not saying like, no, I'm not saying like elementary school. I'm just saying college. Like, no, I, I think you're okay. He, he thinks I'm 75 years old. That's his. I don't know what you're talking Well, yeah. you know, so yeah, but, but yeah. But <laughs> listen, I basically live on a college campus and I haven't seen. The, the overall thing has not hit college stations. Yeah, I think I think it's like 18 is the absolute max that you're going to get the overall. Oh, so you don't think it'll be a college so. thing? I don't think don't so. Think but yeah, I, you know, I don't know. You're going to have to scout it, though, because now the next generation is is graduating high school and going to college. I mean, a case low is a perfect example, going to college. next. So next year, you're going to have to see, you know, this this summer, start getting on the lookout for it and see if it uh, 
if it pops up because it could be a pretty dangerous thing. On this show this week? I have no idea. We have we have stuff to talk about. But before we get to that, though, I do want to let you know that this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Bloom That. And Joe, you know Mother's Day is just around the corner, but it is not too late to send a beautiful artisan-designed arrangement from Bloom That. Unlike those other flower delivery services, the ones that we hate, mostly because they don't sponsor us, but we hate them too because they're not good. Bloom That guarantees freshness with flowers picked right before you order. Each Bloom That bouquet is designed and handcrafted. What you see is exactly what you get. Every bouquet also comes in an elegant burlap wrap to make an amazing first impression. Joe, I know you're a big fan of the Bloom That. Where, where'd you put yours this time? Because I know last time you put it up by your uh, your empty wine rack. That's a- where did your uh, where did your Bloom That uh, bouquet go this time? That's exactly where they're sitting this time too. Okay. And has a have you have you because you, last time you dispersed them among the the women in your life have you done that or are you just holding on to it this time? No, no. Last time I did use the flowers for evil. Um, <laughs> this time I have not, and in fact they're all dead. But that's not Bloom That's fault because I did not follow the instructions again. Oh, see, ours are good because yeah. Michelle um, sent me a picture and I thought she went and bought them, and I always get really mad when she because she have, like buy flowers way too often. I'm like, what are you, what are you buying flowers for? Like you, they're just gonna die. You're gonna go to work and I have to you know throw these things away or whatever. So she took a picture of it. And I'm like, that's a really nice bouquet. And I was like, how much did you spend for it? And I look, I come home and it, it, it's the one that Bloom that gave us. And that was I think the day after we got home from Italy. And those things are still nice. They're still good. I know she um, the last time we got a bouquet from them, she chopped them up and 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 you know some of the ones that live she kept for like a month or so. So I mean these stuff these things last a while. And that's one of the great things about giving that is they're not going to die the next day. They're not going to, you know, hey, mom, here you go. Here's your flowers. And then, you know, by tomorrow she wakes up and they're they're dead or whatever. You don't have to do that. And then uh, you don't have to make your mom lie this season either. You can, uh, um, she could say that she loved the flowers. You use Bloom That, the flower company that doesn't cut corners. And Joe, this week we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You go to bloomthat.com slash V-O-W. That's B-L-O-O-M. T-H-A-T slash V-O-W and pick out the perfect arrangement for your mom. Now, what's going to happen, though, when you go to that bloomnet.com slash V-O-W is that no matter what bouquet you pick, you're automatically going to get a free designer vase and caramel treats. And I'll tell you, those caramel treats are very good. I ate like three of them before we started this podcast. So I'm a big fan of them, and I'm sure your mom will be as well. That's $25 value that you get absolutely for free just by using our link. Once again, that's bloomnet.com slash V-O-W for a premium design bouquet, free vase, and treats. Don't wait. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and this is the deal only available to our listeners. Bloomthat.com slash VOW. Once again, that's bloomthat.com slash VOW, and we thank them for sponsoring us again. But yeah, get, get your mom something nice this year. Come on. Don't do a card. Like, what, what, do, you get, what do you get your mom for Mother's Day, Joe, before we get to uh, actual topics? Do you do anything? Does your mom even expect anything or want anything? I live uh, 2,000 miles away. I don't do anything. Oh, you don't send her a car? You don't, you, nothing? Nah, you know. Do you even call her? Do you even call her? Do you even talk to her? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Jeez. Sure, maybe. You know, you never know. Maybe I'm busy. She's, you know, who knows? She's holding all those, holding all those stupid wrestling tapes in her attic. She's all right. She's a tough broad. She's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. She's, yeah, my mom never wants anything either, but I'm going to give her some blue mat this year. Yeah, she always gets really mad. So when I buy her anything. Oh, that's like, right. Buy, that's right. I get, you know, save your money. I get my mom <laughs> so, Bloom that. That's right. That's great. Of course. Well, this year you're going that, to. Absolutely. Last year you didn't because you didn't know, but now this year you know. Bloomthat.com slash VOW. Those, those, those caramel treats were tremendous. I got How awesome are those? Yeah, and the problem with those is like, I was like, ooh, I'll have one right now. And then like, ooh, I'll have one after dinner. And then I ate like four. I like, ate the in, whole in goddamn seconds. box in like the first day. Those things were <laughs> yeah, tremendous. Those, I wasn't expecting Yeah, if, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be eating them right now sitting on the court. So yeah, those things are good. They're uh, what, what, like salted caramel, right? Did you get the same ones I did? Yeah, the salted caramel. Yeah, they're fantastic. And the, the base is really good, too. The $25 value for free. BloomNet.com slash VOW. Great for Mother's Day. Okay, Joe, 
got a lot to talk about. And the first thing that I definitely want to talk about. We don't have a lot to talk. Well, yeah, I, I, that's that's kind of, I always say that, but you know, in this case, in this case, we really don't. So, but uh, then we'll, you know, I guarantee you, this is one of these shows that we're we're jacking around, we're screwing around, or whatever, and then we're gonna be like rushing at the last second to get to like payback or something like that. We're like, oh god, we have 15 minutes left and we have to get the payback. But uh, the one thing I definitely want to talk about, probably the big news today, the day we're recording here, which is Wednesday, uh, uh, May 3rd. Uh, was Wrestling Dontaku, of course, happened this morning. You and I have not seen the show yet, so we're not going to get the in-depth into a review of that. We're going to talk a lot about, a little bit about the news that happened from it and some big-picture stuff about New Japan. But before we get to that, though, I want to talk about the big news, I thought, and it's what happened during intermission of Wrestling Dontaku, and that was the announcement of the best of the Super Juniors blocks for the 2017 tournament. Uh, kicks off May 17th, uh, runs all the way through June 3rd. And Joe, this lineup, and we, we kind of knew, we had some rumblings, people told us, hey, here's a guy that I think is going to be in here, here's a guy that I think is going to be in here, you know, hey, I've heard this, we've heard this, and we kind of, we could theorize too, you know, looking at the roster and going, okay, this could this could be something special, it could be really good. This is special, this, is, this lineup is incredible, particularly the A block, which is just absolutely nuts, and, and the absolute right thing to do is just to stack a block in my mind. Like, they could have spread these guys out and maybe made it a little bit more balanced, but fuck that. I, I love what they do with the A block because that is appointment television every single time the A block is wrestling. The A block is just stupid stacked. And we kind of hinted around that there would be some um, surprise names in, in, in the field this year. But, uh, you know, we, we would have burned some uh, sources if we had, had revealed them. I know people find that annoying, but it's just the reality of it. Um, but I, I think that those surprises delivered Marty Skrull and ACH were, I think were, were our outstanding additions to this. They're fresh, everything, uh, ACH may have faced a few of these guys, but, and, and, and scroll of course, um, has faced cup, but for new Japan purposes, these are a ton of fresh matchups and you're right. That a block has a chance to be a legendary block. Here's the thing about that block, rich. When you talk about, you're going to get some of, uh, the, the best, in-ring rivalries and wrestling over the last two or three years, you're going to get those rematches out of this block. We're going to get a Ricochet-Will-Ospreay match, which was a no-brainer. They had to put those guys in the same block after what they did last year with what I still say, and I know it makes some people upset. I really think that that's going to go down in history as the most famous match in best of the Super Juniors history. I, I, I firmly believe that. And they'll have that rematch this year. But then you also have a – we're going to get a Will Ospreay-Marty Skrull match, which they haven't faced each other in a while. But if you remember, Rich, that was the hottest worldwide touring match in the world for, what, maybe a year or a year and a half, um, you know, uh, last year. And, you know, we're going to get Hiromu versus Dragon Lee, which may have been the best in-ring rivalry in wrestling during that same time period. And uh, and then we're going to get Hiromu versus Will Ospreay, Hiromu versus Ricochet again, Hiromu versus Marty Skrull, um, uh, Dragon Lee versus those guys. I mean, this, this, this block is just stacked, and I haven't even talked about Jushin Liger. Right, and that's that's when I, when I wrote uh, I wrote a little piece here uh, for VoiceWrestling.com, and you can check that out right now. Uh, kind of talking about a little bit of the background and, and some of the stories around those. Like you mentioned, Dragon Lee and, and Takahashi, you know, they faced off twelve times at CMLL. They faced off in Fantastic Mania, and then also in Ring of Honor as well. As you mentioned, Ricochet and Will Ospreay. That, last year, they were one of the featured ones. I mean, they were all over the place. They faced off three times, uh, in one in the, once in the U.S., once in Ireland, once in England. It's just like international stuff too. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the Osprey uh, uh, scroll. I mean, they 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 fought each other in Ring of Honor. What Culture Pro Wrestling, WXW in Germany, England's Progress, Rev Pro. They went to WrestleCon in Dallas, Texas. Like, this is like worldwide things coming together in this game. This was it's brilliant putting all these guys in the same block together. And yeah. Ospreay and Skrull really 
put helped put each other on the map with their feud, taking their Absolutely. feud everywhere. Yeah. Oh no, hundred percent. And then, like we said, and we're we're sort of burying the lead because I think one of the most interesting things, and I, I'm kind of fingers crossed, and I hope that they do something special with this, is Jushin Thunder Liger, who announced that this was it. This is his last best of the Super Juniors. It'll be his twenty sixth Super Juniors tournament. Twenty six. He was in every single one since nineteen eighty eight. Except for 1995 and 2000, that's insane. Yeah. And my 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 wonderment is, you know, obviously you have this A block and there's a lot of great talent on there. I want them to do something with him. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know if he needs to win the block. I don't know if he needs to, but you, I just don't want him to, you know, go win the opening night and then go, you know, two for three the rest of the way or whatever. I I don't want that. I don't want. I I want him to, you know, really do something special here. Make a run. Make something. I don't know if he goes to the finals. I don't know if he loses in the last night. And doesn't make the finals. Something like that. You got to do something with Liger. He can't just be a guy I, in this place, I, right? If it were Look, before I saw the blocks, my idea would have been, and if Joe Lanza was running things, um, he would make a run and then get eliminated. He would be in the dramatic match on the final night and get, mm-hmm. and get eliminated in a closely contested match. I think that's, a, that's the right story. I don't think I'd put him in the finals. I don't think I'd have him win it. I think that might be going a little too far. Um, but I think that having him make a run possibly knocking off Hiromu at some point and then setting up a potential match with Hiromu down the line. I've seen that idea kicked around. Um, you know, that, that's that, but I don't think I'd have him win the block or, or, or win the tournament. The problem now is rich. Who's he going to beat? Oh yeah. And that's, that's the issue is that block. Like, unless you, you are you really going on a job out, Marty Skrull? Are you really going on a job out? To, to, and I'm not saying job out, you know, to, I'm just using that term. Right. You know, losing the Liger is not a job or whatever, but it's still like, those are guys that you're bringing in. Those are featured guys. Those are big acts. Those are guys you can really promote or whatever. Those guys aren't coming in to lose to, you, you know, just Liger beat, and let him run through. He'll beat a couple of them. Oh, absolutely, because they're always going to be that. That, that Super Juniors, never, nobody's ever dominant in best of Super Correct. Juniors. They tend to be, yeah. Unless you have, like, Devitt going undefeated right before he was turning heavyweight. or I mean, and I think Hiromu has a legitimate chance to run the... The way they're pushing him, I think there's... Would it shock you if he just ran the table and won the whole fucking thing the way Devitt did a few years ago? Because it wouldn't shock me, even though I don't think they're going to do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he, I, if anything, I would talk, and we'll, we'll talk about with the B block. There's a guy in the B block that I think could maybe run the table. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about him. But yeah, that A block, just just to let people know, just to kind of run it down, uh, who's in this A block. You got Dragon Lee, uh, Hiromu Takahashi, Jushin Thunder Liger, Marty Scroll, Ricochet, Taichi, Takamichi Noku, and Will Ospreay. So now right there, I mean, like, a, a, the worst guy is obviously Taichi. <laughs> we all know that. But it's hard to imagine him really being able to drag this entire block down because everybody else is so good. Yeah. Even Takamichinoku, a guy that, you know, some people are like, eh, whatever. When that guy wants to do, wants to go, he can go. And these guys are all guys he can go Taka, with. So that, let that... me tell you something right now. With the, with the quality of opposition in this block, I think Taka is going to have several good matches. And here's the thing yeah. about Taka. His matches are going to be different. And they're going to be good in a different way than the rest of these matches. Because Dragon Lee, Hiromu, Ricochet, Skrull, and Osprey are going to have these fantastic match. Those five guys against each other is going to be money every time. But when Taka faces those guys, they're going to be a different style of match. And I, I have faith that Taka is going to do well. The only guy I'm not thrilled about in this block is Taichi because he's going to do mm-hmm. his Taichi thing. And, um, you know, he'll pull a couple upsets too, um, unfortunately, but, but yeah, I just don't see the quote unquote, you know, Rocky push or miracle run for Liger, because while I while I think you know clearly he can beat any of these people, I don't think he'll beat enough of them to be a factor in the block. So I don't think people are going to get the story that they're looking for. 
Uh, move on to the B block here. Uh, just kind of talk, you know, the have and the have nots here. But there's some decent stories here in this B block. Uh, you have ACH, Bushi, El Desperado, Kushida, Rusuke Taguchi, Tiger Mask, Valador Jr., and Yoshinobu Kinomura. Uh, Tiger Mask Four, I should say, not uh, not Tiger Mask W, because there's a big distinction there. Uh, it's Tiger Mask Four, the old old fart. But as far as I mentioned, the guy that maybe could run the table. What, what are your thoughts on Kushida just dominating this block? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to win the block. I don't, I don't think. I think, and I don't even think there's any question about it. I mean, I think he's very clearly going to win the block, and and you're right. I he may not lose a match. Um, when you when you look at who else is there, I mean, ACH is going to have is going to be motivated. In fact, I know that he's motivated for facts. I know he's excited about this, and he's going to want to go out there and impress people. Um, so I do think that ACH is going to have good matches, but I, I don't think he's a contender to win the block at this stage. You know his. In, in, in what is his second New Japan tour, I guess. Didn't he work the Super Junior Tag League or, or something like that? Mm-hmm. So And then, yeah, and then, of course, the, the one-off, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's all, yeah, I don't know. What I'm, yeah. I don't know what you mean, Rich. Uh, but, but yeah, so, and, and like, you know, it wouldn't make sense for Bushi to win the block or there's really nobody else there. I mean, Taguchi. No, yeah, I mean, Taguchi yeah. Taguchi just had guys... a title shot. Um, mm-hmm. And he he won the block last year. I don't think they're going to do that again. Yeah, and, and I mean, maybe if he hadn't had his title shot yet, you can make the argument. But Kushida's the only person here. Look, coming into the tournament before we saw the blocks, here's the people who realistically could have – you could make an argument that they can win the tournament. And you tell me if you agree with these names. And then you could add some on if you think I missed anybody. I think Hiromu Takahashi has a legitimate chance to win the tournament. Agree or disagree? Uh, agree, yeah. Now that we know it's Liger's last, I think Liger, you can make an argument, he could win the tournament. Agree or disagree? Agree, yeah. Uh, I think Willow Spray, since he hasn't had his title shot yet against Romu and they've done nothing with him and they've heated him up with all these tag wins, has a legitimate chance to win the tournament. Agree or disagree? Yeah, he, he's still my favorite, I think. I think I still have him winning the whole thing. But yeah, so agreed. Okay, and my other guy is Kushida, who we just talked yeah. about in this block. Those, to me... Where what is that? Four guys or five guys? Four. Right, yeah, and like not Ricochet because we saw that when once he got his title shot, you I don't can kind of scratch him off or whatever. Too. Yeah, right. So I didn't think it was him. And then there's really not many other guys other than that. I mean, Dragon Lee, of course, isn't doing it. Marty isn't doing it. Taishi's not doing it. Taka isn't doing it. So people are making arguments that Dragon Lee can. I don't think so. I don't. No. I don't think he's no, winning this tournament. He he had his shot at Hiromu already. Um, th- that's a big thing here. I don't think they're going to repeat that before. I don't know. I don't see Dragon Lee winning the tournament. Um, I just see him having kick-ass matches, especially against Hiromu. So, yeah, Kushida is the only guy in that B block who I think can realistically win the tournament. So, yeah, I do think he'll win the block. Um, my personal opinion, and I've written about it at length in many of my reviews, I think Will Ospreay is winning the block. I think Will Ospreay is winning the tournament. And I think Will Ospreay, Will Ospreay might be the guy who beats Hiromu. Um, now, if you put a gun to my head, I wouldn't make that prediction. But I'm fairly confident he's winning this tournament, though. And I, I do think, you know, because it's now or never if they're going to push him hard because they've got about a year left with him, a little less than a year now. So maybe he's the guy who knocks off Hiromu and he's the one who trades the title with him you know, going into Wrestle Kingdom or whatever. I, I can't believe we're having this conversation. I imagine a year later us having this conversation. Which, what conversation is that? The, the conversation, well, last year, I mean, he was, he was on fire. He was, had a, you know, he dominated through best of the Super yeah. Juniors, had the Marekas run, and everyone's like, oh my God, they're, they're over pushing this guy. Uh, he's got to pay his dues. Remember that? There was those conversations about him. Oh, he didn't pay his dues. He's leapfrogging all the native, you know, guys. Well, those, da, were, da, da, da. Well, those were stupid points. No, and I agree, but, but still, I mean, he was on a mega push. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like that guy, the sky was the limit for them. Then, you know, they lock him up to a contract. 
like, oh my god, they got this guy, you know, locked up too. Like this is this is unbelievable. What are they gonna do with this guy? And now we're a year later, like, yeah, you know, he's got a year left. Like we're we're at that. And like the exact conversation we had, and I remember us having this, is you have this guy now, so you can do stuff with him. I mean, because people were saying, oh no, you know, he's gonna leave, he's gonna do this, and no, no, you signed him, you have him. Now you, you there's no worry of where he's gonna go or what he's gonna do. You got him for two years. So go ahead, maybe slow it down a little bit. And we said that. You can kind of slow it down a little bit. Let him progress. Let him do this. Let, and now we're a year later. We're like, all right, well, he's got a year left. So you, it's now or never. It's like, I cannot believe, you know, a, a year has passed with nothing being done he, whatsoever. He with got him. his title shot, lost, and then completely disappeared into the ether. He even got knocked out in the first round of the, of the junior tag tour, of the super junior tag tournament. Um, a lot of people mistakenly say league. That's not a league. That's a knockout tournament. Um, the, 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 the tag deal. He even lost in the first round of that and teamed with Gato. I mean, and they've done nothing with the guy. He had the one match against um, Shibata, but remember, that was a Rev Pro match. That was for the Rev Pro heavyweight title. Um, it, that's really been the only high-profile thing he's done since he lost <coughs> since he lost to Kushida the second time. To me, if he doesn't win this tournament or at least make some noise or at least get some sort of substantial, or at least get to the finals. This is right up there with, you know, one of the grossest examples of wasting of a star, of a super, this man is a global superstar. This will be one of the grossest incidents of wasting a global superstar that we've seen in wrestling maybe ever. I mean, this is right up there. I mean, to do absolutely nothing with this guy, he's over with the fans. Okay, go watch that Ricochet Osprey match from last year, and you, and which main event at Cork and Hall, by the way, and blew the roof off the place. By the way, they've got a global superstar on their hands, and they've done virtually nothing with him. Um, so maybe my prediction here is more wishful thinking than anything else. Maybe it's just they, they my complete disbelief that they've done, but. It seems like the timing is right, too, because Hiromu has gone through Dragon Lee. He's gone through Taguchi. He's gone through Kushida. He's beaten him twice now. He's gone through Ricochet. It seems to me that Will is the next man up. And if Kushida or somebody else wins this tournament instead of Osprey, and they he gets skipped in line, and guys are getting their second crack at Hiromu, that's just, Rich, that's inexcusable. That's it's, an inexcusable waste of of a, of, of a superstar regardless. Look, maybe you don't like his in ring. That's not even what I'm talking about here. I'm a huge fan of his in ring. I think the guy's pretty great, but even if you're not into his in ring, you're wasting an asset and it it's driving me. This has been, I mean, we talk about the tag team booking and we complain about that all the time. To me, this has been the most misused and misbooked piece of talent that they've had over, over the, over the last uh, year or so. This is, it, it, it's 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 actually gross how badly they misuse this man and and, and do nothing with him. Uh, I'm looking back now. I completely forgot the Super Jacob. He bounced out in the second round. Do you remember when he lost that to Matt Seidel? Non-factor in that tournament. He lost to Matt Seidel. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot that Jacob even happened. He like... lost to Matt Seidel in the second round, which was really the first. That was the final night. That was his. He so he only wrestled one match the final night, is what I'm getting at, because the second round was on the final night. So he yeah, won his prelim right. against um it was a luchador I can't uh, Teton Teton against Teton on on you know the first super um super J Cup show and then he lost to Matt Seidel which which I you know I mean okay but it's like 
we thought Osprey was at least going to the finals of that tournament, and he lost in the first round of that, and then he lost in the first round of the of the junior tag tournament as well. Mm-hmm. And then other singles matches that he had in New Japan proper, I mean, of course, he had uh, a ROH title match against uh, Adam Cole in the Destruction in Hiroshima or whatever. That was kind of just there. You know, it was an ROH title match. So it was the only, like, proper, proper New Japan match that he's had since then is in October. He had a singles match against David Finley in terms of singles matches, uh, big-time singles matches for Osprey. Otherwise, yeah, you had, like, you know, the Rev Pro match that you mentioned against Shibata and New Beginning in Osaka. But that's it. Like, th- those are the matches we're talking about. And that about. was it's... a cool match and a cool feud. But when your second biggest match... When you can argue that someone's second biggest match since he last won the Super Juniors was against David Finley, we have a problem mm-hmm. here. On a road to power show, we have a, road we have to a show. Massive problem here. And it's Will Ospreay. And it's not just like it's, a guy that you and I think is cool and a guy that, like, the underground, you know, a bunch of fans, like, oh, this guy, if he just got a push, would be great. It's like international superstar, a guy that a lot of people know. Like, casual fans, if you said Will Ospreay, a lot of them know who Will Ospreay is. Like, this is a guy. Like, this, it's unbelievable. It, it, this like, is why I think, look, just the way the, the, the deck has been set, it, it seems to me that this is set up for him to win and for him to be the big rival of Hiromu moving forward into the, the rest of the summer because. Uh, you know, it, it, now look, and if that's the plan, if the plan was, okay, we're just going to let this guy simmer and then he's going to have this enormous feud with the tremendously built Hiromu Takahashi, I will step off my soapbox and that'll be fine because then you're using him properly and I don't have a problem with that because at that point, remember too now, Rich, if he has a feud with Hiromu, those are going to be semi-main event matches. All of Hiromu's matches have been semi-main event matches. Um, you know, they're not openers. They're not before the intermission. They're not the popcorn match. They, Hiromu, they love this guy. They think he's going to be a star, and rightfully so. And he's positioned as such on the cards. So at that point, if Will Ospreay's feuding with Hiromu, then, then I, you know, I got to step off of this and stop complaining about it because that's a proper push for where the man should be positioned. But so that that's what I see coming. In fact, you know, I'm fairly confident he's winning the tournament, and I'm about fifty-fifty that he's the guy that knocks him off. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still an Osprey winning too. I, as far as beating Hiromu, I, I don't want to go that far. I don't think he's at that level yet, but we'll have to see if he, if he really runs the table throughout this Super Juniors and and. We'll, but yeah, right now, if if you know, if I had to make my predictions, I would say that yes, he does win best of the Super Juniors, but I don't think that he knocks off Hiromu. The whole thing about the counter argument that you hear, and it's not just about Willow Spray, but you hear this all the time with other companies too, whether it's ROH or whoever the case may be. The counter argument you hear is, well, you know, they're not homegrown guys and, and they know that they're going to leave, so why push them? But I think you. I hate that. But I think. That's so stupid. Yeah, because you made the point before. If you know he's under contract for two years, he's yours. You don't have to worry about him leaving. So you can structure a two-year story arc where you push the guy, and then you make as much money as you can off of him, and then you cool him off right before his contract ends. If he resigns, great. If he doesn't, you've cooled him off. In the age of contracts, that makes these things easier. Oh, I was going to say, it's easier than anything, because then you can have a clear plan of, all right, here, on on May – 8th, you know, 2019. Right. Boom. Here's our end point. Let's get there. So let's like, create a two. So you sit. So right. Gato and Jado sit down at a table and they create a two year story arc for the guy. Here's what we're going to do with him the first six months. Here's what we're going to do. Whatever the case may be. Whereas in the old days, guys could just give notice whenever they felt like it. It was harder to do those things back then. If guys were unhappy, they just said, all right, boss, I'm leaving in two weeks. Start jobbing me out. And then that's how it would work. But in the age of contracts where you're locking guys up, there is no excuse for this gross misuse of talent. There's no excuse for it. And you've got to put Gato's feet to the fire here. It's on him. 
If he doesn't start pushing this guy starting now, that is on everyone thinks I'm this big Guido defender. Okay, this is a huge. They have misused this man. This is the this is this is a, a, an example of dropping the ball badly. Uh, you know, one of the examples of New Japan has dropped the ball badly has been with this guy. Now you know you have him until next. I think it's March or April or something like that. You gotta go now. This is where it has to start. And and if if they don't start it here. I, I, you know, it's going to be too late to really get anything of significance. Yeah, you don't have a Jacob this year, so you don't have really that to start him up. And otherwise, it would just kind of be, you know, out of nowhere he gets a title shot, I guess. Then you would have be... G1 where the juniors ha- aren't involved. Then... Right, so then you're talking, yeah, it's not till October when he's even doing anything. So then of, it's of either going to be so... a power struggle or a King of Pro Wrestling one-off title match if you want to do anything at all. And then because then you have the World Tag League where, again, the juniors aren't involved. And then you've got Wrestle Kingdom. And then the guy is gone. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it really is now or never if you're going to do something. That's why just logically thinking, I think now's the time. I think they're smart enough to where I have faith that they're going to push him now. And that's why I think it's not just going to be – I don't think he's just going to be the next guy in line for Hiromu. I'm not quite sure about that. I think we might see an extended feud, which of course involves trading titles. But of course, at the end of the day – Hiromu's the guy who ends up with the title around his waist because, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, you know, that guy has superstar written all over him. And, and you know, his push has been handled to absolute perfection. I don't have a single complaint about his. Oh, it's the best. It's, it's the best thing going right now. I, many, I love it. When you look at great pushes in wrestling right now, you have Hiromu. You have, I think, Asako's push has been tremendous. Um, and Braun... Uh, they're starting to get a little murky with Braun now. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little but bit. But yeah, the three I, that I was looking and Miyahara. I mean Miyahara too. Um, in terms of um, and I'm not going to count Okada. He's been getting pushed since 2012. Um, but recent vintage pushes. I mean, those are the four really you would look at, right? I mean, I might miss. I'm probably missing. No, and and I think one thing that you have in common with a lot of those, is, is, is particularly the Oscar ones, is that. Hiromu matches feel like prize fights. They feel like different. It's it, similar to like a Brock Lesnar. When we said now we're going to get that again with Brock Lesnar, where he pops in every so often to do his title matches and then pops out or whatever. Hiromu matches feel like that for me. It's like he comes out and it's just a different feel. You kind of have to adjust. You got to, you know, it's not just a wrestling match. You, you're not quite sure what it's going to be. You're not quite sure what he's going to do. You're not quite sure who's going to die in the match, but it just feels different. It doesn't have the feel of just a normal match. Like you kind of have to sit up and take notice or whatever. And that's awesome. And that, and that's uh, credit to them because they did that, that Kushida match. And that's, I love when things happen like that, where a guy just beats a dude in two minutes. And it's like, holy shit. Well, that's whole, that's completely different than I thought would ever happen. Like now you've completely changed the game with this guy where you can't go into a match with him and go, yeah, all right, well, they're going to jack around for 15 minutes. And then, you know, I'll watch the last 10 minutes and that'll be awesome or whatever. Like it's a thing now where like you, you got to watch because you don't know what this guy's going to do. Yeah, he's he has that unpredictable feel to him. And here's the other thing. Well, and even in the matches, and I didn't want to say, even in the matches that go 20 minutes, like, he's going to do something in that match. You're like, holy shit, what the hell did he just do? Like, you can't just slag off and, and, and not watch every single second of him because the guy's capable of just doing something insane any second of the match. So. And they've created the idea that he's unbeatable, which is good from the perspective of, okay, you have all of these great wrestlers taking their shots against him. And that's why it has sort of that big fight aura to it. The Ricochet match, my God, I thought that was worked so well because Ricochet went right after him at the bell. And 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 the reason he did that is because of this story they're telling with Hiromu where he's just this impossible, unbeatable guy. And these 
these wrestlers are treating matches with Hiromu different. They're like, you know, they're like, wow, we got to go right after this guy. We have to, we, you know, uh, you know, Taguchi tried to scare him with the ankle locks, and 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 Ricochet treated this completely. You know, went right after him at the bell. Kushida tried to blitz him and beat him at his own game, and and it's it's his matches just have a different feel and a different aura to them. And here's the other thing. When you look at Hiromu, when you look at Asuka, when you look at Kento Miyahara, uh, when you look at, uh, you know, you throw Braun in there or whoever, Rich, sometimes these guys make pro wrestling so complicated when it really is so simple. Find a charismatic, talented person and have them beat everyone. It really is just that simple. Yeah, and what's actually funny is when so many people complain, oh, this guy, this guy, oh, he wins, oh, he wins so much. Like, I I, I I love that. It's like, why do you want guys to lose all the time? Like, that's that's WWE mentality of, like, the 50-50 booking. I hate that shit. I want you to say, here are 10 people that we really love. These 10 people kill everybody. Or these five people or whatever are dominant, and the rest of everybody else has to kind of get to their level. You just just gave the reason, though, because you have – we talk about it all the time. It's been that way for so long in WWE, and that's the highest profile company that I think there's an entire generation of wrestling fans that – that's what wrestling is to them. They, they're not used to the, these kinds of pushes where people are just dominant and get over by being dominant. And, you know, you look, you look at these three pushes in particular that we've been talking about, and these people have got – now, look, it doesn't always work. You can't just throw anybody out there and have them win all their matches and expect them to get over. They have to have the right kind of charisma. They have to have the right kind of store power. They have to be talented enough to pull it off. But when you've got guys like Hiromu Takahashi and – Asuka and, and and how well has the Miyahara thing worked out? I was never more look. We always like to joke around how we always rub it in people's faces when we're right. I was never more wrong when I said that he should lose to Suama and Sumo Hall. That would have been disastrous in hindsight. Uh, you know, he beat Suama and Sumo Hall, and then it kind of clicked for me. I'm like, wow, they're just they pick. We we were screaming. He's just the man. Yeah, he's just the yeah. Man. We were screaming for them for how long? For a year, year and a half, two years. To that's your guy. That's the guy that that should. You remember when he was losing to Akabono all the time, which was fine because that was during the build period. And we're like, look, this guy has to be your guy. Well, they have not only made them their guy, but he's just beating everyone. And as a result, you see, he's catching because he's charismatic and because he's he's catching on now, and fans are getting behind him and. Here you go. All Japan's starting to sell out Cork and Hall again. And All Japan's running shows in Sumo Hall again. And All Japan is turning things around. And it's because they gave someone, the right someone, the right person, because that's important, the big push. And that's exactly what we're seeing with Hiromu. They're giving the right person the mega push. And he's elevated the division to even uh, further heights than Kushida did. We praise Kushida up and down for helping to elevate the juniors. He's passed the ball to Hiromu. He got Hiromu over by doing that uh, one minute and thirty second job, which is your job to put o- is your job in wrestling is to put over the next guy, and that's precisely what Kushida did. And if they had not pushed Kushida as hard as they did and gotten Kushida over to the level they did, that quick loss to Hiromu would not have meant this as much as it did. Right now, that is the that's the flagship win for Hiromu is that quick win over Kushida. And why was it so shocking and why did it mean so much? Because Kushida had been built up the year before. Rich, this is textbook ABC smart booking, and that's why it has worked. So, uh, you know, I look, I, I, will Ospreay be the guy? I don't know, but I do think Ospreay will be the next guy up. Will he be the guy to beat him? I don't know. 
Uh, move on to other stuff going on with uh, Dontaku. Of course, as I mentioned, we did not see the show yet, so we're not going to get into an exhaustive, uh, an exhaustive review of that. But we did want to talk a little bit about uh, the big picture stuff going on with New Japan and, and for the results of Dontaku. Uh, Kenny Omega defeated uh, Tomohiro Ishii, and then uh, o- Okada defeated Bad Luck Fale, of course, in the main event uh, to retain his title. Uh, after that match, Kenny Omega challenged Okada, and we're going to get Okada and Omega 2. Uh, at Dominion in uh, June 11th. And we also have a match uh, that was started off on the the, uh, the show earlier in the week, and it was Hiroshi Tanahashi challenging Tetsuya Naito. So exactly as we had predicted last week uh, would be the two matches. Those did occur with, with Tanahashi and Naito and Omega Okada main eventing in Dominion 611 in Osaka Joe Hall. Joe, what are your thoughts on those two matches? Yeah, I mean, it's like we talked about last week. This is the right business decision. These are the two matches they needed for um, for a building of that size. Um, I cannot think of a scenario um, of two matches that I would have done instead of these two. Um, this this is what they need to do. So Okada's match against Bad Luck Folly sold out Duntaku. Uh Naito's match against Juice Robinson with, with Evil and Tanahashi underneath. I'm pretty sure that sold out too, didn't it? The uh, smaller building for the Toyonuka. It drew 2570. I don't know. Actually, you know what? I don't know if that's a sellout. Yeah, we couldn't figure out. I think you were looking on there to try to figure out what the sellout was for that arena, and I don't know if we could figure it out. I never did, but what I do know is that it outdrew the last time they ran a, a show in that building, which was a G1 show in 2015, um, is what I think it was. But it wasn't. It was one of the, like the B G1 shows with like a weak main event. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like uh, – I think it was uh, Kojima and Okada in the main event or something like that. I, I, I don't remember for sure, but it outdrew the last time they were in that building. But yeah, but anyway, Okada and Fale – uh, did sell out Dantaku. Okada stays hot at the gate. He sold out all of his matches with the exception of Wrestle Kingdom. And of course, Wrestle Kingdom was up uh, against the year before the Okada match. Uh, so really, since G1, Okada has just been uh, doing tremendous business. Uh, we're not even hearing the arguments anymore that he shouldn't be champion. People have kind of given that up now because it kind of sounds silly when all the guy does is go out there and sell out buildings. I mean, what are you really arguing against at that point? Um, but the ironic thing is, Rich, I think Omega has a legitimate chance to beat him at Dominion. Uh, yeah, that's going to be the real interesting thing to see as we, as we get closer and, and, and kind of get an idea of the feel and the, of the match. Uh, yeah, I'm right with you. I think if anybody was going to do it, it'd be, it'd be Kenny Omega. And I think, you know, I don't think it's the worst idea when in July you're planning on coming to America and trying to do something, you know, real special here in America with New Japan proper things. I don't think it's the worst idea that Kenny Omega is your champion coming into those shows. No, so yeah. And I, I think that that's exactly precisely why you bring Omega in as champion. I mean, you know, they just opened up some more, um, tickets. They've been, um, the new Japan office, which of course, Rich sends us checks weekly. Um, mm-hmm. They were in touch with us last month and hinted that they might be opening up some seats. Um, so they've been thinking about doing this for about a month and they finally did this week. They opened up some more seats for the long beach shows. I think Omega has a legitimate chance to win. I, I think that's a coin flip match right now. I'll have a better feel for the prediction as we get closer to it. Um, I think Naito's beating Tanahashi again. And I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's Tanahashi's role right now. Rich, the, the the decline of Tanahashi, I call it a decline because I can't think of a better word, but the way that they've positioned Tanahashi since uh, since his last loss to um, Okada two years ago or whatever, or last year or whatever, um, I think they've handled him to perfection too because he's clearly not at the, at the upper echelon anymore in terms of you're not going to see him getting IWGP heavyweight title shots, but they still have Tanahashi in their back pocket when they need a strong semi-main event. I can guarantee you he's going to main event some G1 shows. I think that's safe to say. So they've 
sort of moved him down the card a bit, but they still have him in their back pocket when they when they need some help drawn at the gate. Um, do, are, do you like the way that they've used Tanahashi you know, since the loss to Okada. Yeah, I, I do. And I think one of the things that's really good about it and the way that they've sort of handled it is that he doesn't feel like a guy that should be main eventing anymore. And that that's a good thing, though. It feels like there's not this weird cloud over Okada or this weird cloud over everybody where it's like, oh, Tanahashi, whenever they want to get to the security blanket. We used to call yeah. him that many years ago. The security blanket of Tanahashi is like whenever they just wanted freaked out or whatever, they could go to Tanahashi. He was always there. He always felt like he was in some way a cloud over these guys where Okada was on, you know, hey, Okada, you have one bad draw. Well, we'll go back to Tanahashi. We know that that will work. We know that that's they have since kind of put him away where fans, I don't think, expect him to just in a snap come out there and challenge for the IGP title or, or in a snap win the title or in the, you know and that's good I think it's good that he's sort of this guy that people still there's still cachet for him there's still people that want to come see him but there's not that cloud that he at any point can become in the main event you know become a main eventer again or win the big title or or win a G1 or whatever which is good I think that that's a perfect role for him and I think it's done so much and I, I think we're seeing it in the box office too I think it's done enough to really tell people okay you know for a while we, we, we said Okada was the guy and we were building around him but we always had Tanashi we always had Tanashi they have then said in the past year we don't have time. It, it, this is your guy. So this is the guy to like. This is the guy to watch. This is the guy to buy tickets for. This is the guy to buy your, your stuff. And it's working. We're seeing people finally really at the box office buy into Okada consistently as the guy who, no matter who he's against, Okada's the guy. And Okada's the man or whatever. And I think that's that's been carefully crafted. And I think they've done it to perfection. And now you still have Tanashi in a very important role, though, because we always talked about there was always issues with with that secondary role where, where guys like a Goto had to come up there or a guy like an Ishii had to come up there. And they weren't, you know, as much of a proven draw as some of these other guys. Well, now you got Tanahashi that you can just, when you're in a big building like an Osaka, Joe Hall, where you need a secondary match, well, you got Tanashi here. You haven't ruined him. It's not like they've actually jobbed him out and he's been a nothing. But it's good. It's just a nice little middle balance for him where you can just use him when you want. But there just doesn't seem to be that like cloud over everything that that's Tanahashi. Like it's not. He's not there anymore. He's not in that upper echelon anymore, which is fine. That's exactly where yeah, he should be. Yeah, it's not. It's not like because fans aren't clamoring for him to be back at the top. That's what I mean. There was always this weird feeling of like, ah, we're st- we want Tanahashi, we want, you know, and like, and I don't blame him. That was the guy. He was a star. He was awesome. People, but yeah, you don't you don't see that or you don't sense that anymore. That people want him. And, and you know there. why? It yeah. goes right back to what we were talking about with Kushida and Hiromu, but on a larger scale, because of the brilliant booking of the Okada Tanahashi feud and the brilliant work of Tanahashi in getting Okada over as the next guy. Rich, that was textbook. And now what do you have? You have Okada. Uh, you know, finally free of that Tanahashi feud completely. And he's killing it. And Naito's killing it. So if the two top guys are killing it and people are paying to see these guys and selling out all the shows that Okada and Naito are headlining, and then, you know, it's like you said, that that cloud is gone. No one is clamoring for Tanahashi back on top. And then what that also does is kind of a double-edged thing. Because then when he does have a big match, it feels more special because they're fewer and farther between. So, you know, you're only going to get two or three of these big Tanahashi matches a year. So, you know, hey, look, it's Tanahashi getting a shot at the Intercontinental title. That means a little more than when he was constantly at the top of the card. And I, real quickly, before we move on to our next thing, I, I like you mentioned the, the feud between Tanahashi and Okada, of course. And I think it definitively ending and it definitively ending in Okada's favor was a big moment, too. Yeah. 
It was. It always felt like that feud. Oh, it still had legs, and it. You know, at any point, Tanahashi could kind of come up and challenge Okada, and he always had Okada's number or whatever. And we, you know, people complained about it at the time, and oh God, it's Tanahashi. Who cares? We're bored of him or whatever. But it was done perfectly, where Okada was never the man because Tanahashi was always there. And then he, you know, hit those rainmakers and completely put Tanahashi in the rearview mirror. And for fans, it felt the same way too. It was like, okay, cool. Okada's the man now. Okay, Okada definitively beat this guy and put him in the rear view, so now we can really get behind Okada as being the man. So for, uh, it was it was perfect. For all yeah. of the complaints that it dragged on too long and they had too many matches, I wouldn't change a thing about how any of that played out. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I always mean, love that argument. Like, oh, no, another really awesome match between these two guys. Damn it. Well, even like, hey, look, but here's the thing. Forget about match quality because I thought all of them were obviously, I thought all of them were awesome. I gave like four of them five stars. But even if you didn't necessarily like the matches, just from a business point of view and the way that the 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 feud played out and the way that the booking played out, it worked. I mean, where's the complaint from a from a from a booking or business point of view when it clearly worked to get Okada over as the next guy? I mean, look, scoreboard, Rich. The guy sells out every fucking show. He's clearly over as the top guy, and it's because Tanahashi did such a tremendous job uh, getting him over. And, you know, look at all the great moments from that feud. The first G1 draw. Okada being super cocky at that one Wrestle Kingdom main event and crying as he's leaving the ring as he's just emotionally spent because he just because he, you know, he underestimated this guy and, and Tanahashi standing on that turnbuckle and being so cocky and mocking Okada as he cried to the back. All of these little steps, it was just a brilliant pro wrestling feud with brilliant matches and it, and it accomplished what it seeked out to accomplish, which was passing the torch to the next guy. Uh, and again, on a smaller scale, that is what Kushida did for Hiromu. And... It's what Okada's going to do for somebody one day, and it's what Hiromu's going to do for somebody one day. That, we talked about the cycle of life with the dumb birds on my porch. That's the pro wrestling, <laughs> that's the pro wrestling cycle of life, man. And, and you know, they, there's a lot of people complaining about Kushida getting squashed, and oh my God, they're burying Kushida. He lost in a minute and a half. Give me a break, okay? Kushida's fine. That's the, that's the old guy putting over the next guy. That's pro wrestling 101. Okay, and it worked to perfect. Hiromu went to a whole new. Le- that was the eye-opening win. That was the eye-opening moment for Hiromu. That was just, just great stuff. And, and there's always people always get like conflated that like the wrestlers are mad when they have to do that or whatever. And yeah, you have like your Kevin Nashes of the world that don't want to. But most people know that you know if I help this next guy do well, I'm going to make more money because he's doing well. Do you think Tanahashi regrets? You know, putting Okada over. I think, look, pro wrestling. When Tanahashi said nothing more than he wanted was for New Japan to be healthy. Yeah. And them to sell out arenas and make money. Like, I, look, these guys always have a personal ego. But, they, you know, at the end of the day. Do I think Tanahashi lays in bed at night and thinks to himself, I could still be the top guy here? Sure. Oh, like, absolutely. They, they all do. Yeah. They all have that does. kind of ego. But but when, right. when they sit down with Tanahashi and they say, look, we've got a four-year plan. And we're going to execute this four-year plan with Okada because we think he's the next dude and we need you to be on board with this. And we need you, you're going to be an integral part of this because as we know, guys can snuff shit like that out if they're jealous or they're angry. Look, Rich, history is littered with that. So yeah, I do think, look, if Tanahashi didn't want Okada to get over, he could have made sure Okada didn't get over. So that, that is for sure. But do I think that these guys all lie in bed at night and think that they can look, I don't think you can be a top star in pro wrestling without having that kind of ego. 
But at some point, like you're saying, it's look, you know, that's what they're asking you to do. And, you know, you're 40 years old and, you know, it's you can handle it one of two ways. You could be a piece of shit about it and 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 do the wrong thing or, or you can concede your your new position and, and do the right thing. And that's how Tanahashi handled it. And, you know, who knows? I mean, look, Kushida's no spring chicken either, right? Isn't he like 36 years old? So it's like somewhere around there. Yeah, 36. And really, what was the ceiling for Kushida? Didn't he kind of hit it? If we're being honest. Yeah, which was a great ceiling, though. I mean, the guy right. came from 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 really nowhere and was just, you know, toiling away in a tag team or whatever. Not to, I mean, the tag team was great, but yeah. And, and people were saying, oh, this guy's got talent. This guy's got talent. They should do something. A lot of times when we, we do that thing where we say, oh, this guy's got talent. He could really do something. The guy never does anything. He's stuck in his tag team. He bounces. He, you know. They they did something with Kushida. I mean, Kushida had, uh, again, we talked about your plans or whatever. That guy, little by little by little, got better. And anybody that was invested in him f- during the time splitters and said, oh, man, this guy, if they really want to do something, could do something, saw it all the way through to him being the ace of that division and dominating that division for, you know, a year and, and, and moving up the ladder for, you know, two, three years or whatever. That was a great story arc. If that was the peak... I love the peak. I enjoyed the peak a lot. He had great matches and he got the title over to a new level. And more importantly, he got over enough to where he could help the next guy get over to even bigger heights. And that's, that's what pro wrestling is all about. So, and I look, I don't think Kushida's finished. It's like, we're reading his obituary. Yeah. It's like a eulogy. It's it's like, look, he's probably going to win his block and he could very well win this fucking tournament. I mean, you know, you know, let's not forget that. And there's other things they could do with him. I don't think he's going to sink to the depths of being just a prelim guy. He's a, he's a top guy now. He's a top junior. You know, he's one of these guys chasing Hiromu and wins, you know, beating Kushida is still going to mean something. And, and, you know, you know, it's so, you know, I, yeah, seriously, it sounds like we're, you know, reading off his eulogy, but I I don't think that's the case at all. I think there's uh, a lot left in the tank for him and there's a lot of things they could do with him. And again, you weren't around, but when, when Semp was on the show, he he's one of the guys who thinks Kushida is going to be a heavyweight at some point. And that's always a possibility, too. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, who knows? He can clearly go with the heavyweights bell to bell. It's just a matter of the fans accepting his size. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, you know, interesting times for New Japan. Um, you know, we wish we can break down Duntaku, but we're recording a day early. So, I mean, you know, we just weren't able to get to it. Rich, how much of uh, Toy, Toya, Toya Nokuni did you see? I watched uh, the last half of it. So I skipped all the the the, the tag matches or whatever, and I watched the last half. So I saw all the all the big-time matches. Then. That's fair. We could run through those quickly. Did you love the uh, Hiromu Ricochet match as much as I did? I thought that was one. I did, yeah. I thought that was just, like you said, I think, and you touched on it a little bit. What was awesome, though, was that Ricochet just right off the bat. And that's another thing that I love about Hiromu is that he's so, he gets in guys' heads or whatever, and, and the way that they tell the stories is that these guys – who are normally reserved, they're normally calm and whatever, just kind of lose their shit when they're against Hiromu. Like, they just, they think they gotta go quick, they think they gotta go nuts, they think they gotta do these, like, wild things or whatever, and and I like that. Like, Kushida goes nuts and, and gets his little heel turn going or whatever, and Ricochet in this side, he just goes at him right away and just really works, 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 works. But I thought was also cool, too, is that we saw, of those two, I thought it was the most reserved Hiromu match and the most reserved Ricochet match I've seen in a while, which is a good thing, because they didn't go too nuts, they didn't put, you know, Every shot that they had, they just kind of it, it worked somewhat calm after that first little opening s- sequence, and it was Ricochet just then trying to be the smarter wrestler and sort of thing like, all right, 
I got to calm down. Like, I'm not going to beat this guy if I'm a nutcase. Like, I got to get smart. I got to do this. And then in the end, Hiromu just still does it. And it, it's just, I, I really liked it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I thought uh, I thought Ricochet had a really great performance. So I don't know if he's getting enough credit for how good he Ricochet's was. Ricochet's been so good in New Japan. I mean, just leading up to this match on the road two shows and, and things like that, he was excellent. I think he's going to, obviously, in that stacked block, he's set up to just have a monster super junior in terms of match output. I'm comfortable calling Ricochet one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world. I, I know that might sound like an outlandish statement, but when I watched this guy and I was watching him against Hiromu, I really don't think he has any flaws as a pro wrestler. I think he, he, he's, he sells as well as anybody. Um, he incorporates his flying into his matches in a very intelligent way. Um, he's not a, he's a, he's arguably the best flyer in the world in terms of how graceful he is and the things that he can do. Um, physically, but I think what's great about him is he's gotten so smart about his flying in recent years. And that's a topic that we've talked about here before as his body has started hurting a little more as he creeps towards 30. Is he 30 yet? I don't think so, right? He's like 28 or 29. Uh, I think he's the same age as me, so I think he, he actually might be did 30. 30 recently, yeah. yeah. So as his body starts to break down a little, as all flyers do, I mean, look, Rich, we've done the statistical studies on it. Just look at the best flyer award in the Observer Award, and that's always guys in their early 20s and mid-20s. I mean, you just... I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm wrong. He's, he's actually only 28. Right oh, yeah, there now, you so. go. So as he creeps towards 30, I mean, guys just don't win that award once they cross the 33. You know what? You know what great flying wrestlers are like? They're like NFL running backs. You turn 30 and it's just, it's a whole new game. You know what I mean? And it's like, you just either have, you got to adjust a little and you got to fly smarter and Ricochet does. And um, his bumping is just so unique. I think we talked about that on a previous show too, how mm-hmm. when you see him live, it just sounds different when he wrestles. The way he hits the ropes, the way he bumps. Yeah, I said I had those two friends I brought, and and, and they were like immediately like stood up and they're like, "Who's this guy? What's going on?" They just said, and like I said, "Well, what what do you feel a little bit?" And they're like, "He just there's a different feel in the sound when this guy's in the ring." I'm like, "Yeah, you're, you're right." Like. He's a guy that definitely improves a lot when you watch him live. Ricochet is a guy who works super indie shows and still laps the field in terms of, of what you're watching. You Even on shows with the best of the best on the indies, you feel like he's the best guy on the show in terms of execution and ability. And, and, and again, it's he bumps in a unique way. He sells in a unique way. His offense is crisp and always on point. When does he ever lay an egg in a, in, in a situation where he's asked to have a great match? Never. When does Ricochet lay an egg? He just doesn't. And, and here's the thing. He's versatile, too. He can go out there and do comedy. He can go out there and do one of those annoying uptown funk matches that have a dance sequence in the, and, and still manage to get over. The guy is just a star. He's a great wrestler. And if I really had to plot it out, I wouldn't be shocked at all. If he if it turned out that I you know that this guy was one of the ten best wrestlers in the world if I really sat down and thought about it I really do think he's that good and uh, it is a shame uh, for him look he's he's actually you know he's starting to drop little hints it, the Lucha Underground situation is frustrating for him you know I do think he wants to uh, you know do some other bigger and better things with his career uh, but New Japan's a good spot for him to be in right now and it works out to our benefit as New Japan fans. Um, you know, rather than toiling away in NXT or something. So I'm just enjoying them while I can. Um, and I just think the guy's great. 
Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi defeats Evil Rich. I didn't really like this match that much. Nah, I didn't like it either. God yeah, damn once... it. Why? Get out of my head, Sorry. man. I... Yeah, no, the problem with me is is I was into it, and then the, uh, the guys came out, the LIJ guys came out, and I immediately just said, fuck this, and I don't care anymore. And then I just... I, I, I completely turned it off. I just was doing something else. It was it was going on in the background, and Tanashi's fighting him off. I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. And you know, it beats him and whatever, but I, I, I can't do that anymore. It, it's just the second those guys come in, it's just it, it saps all the energy for me. And, like, one of the things, and you mentioned it in your review, is that, you know, you have the thing where the guy will fight, you know, the, the stable mates off or whatever. And I think that is a great story if it's been a long built story, one that really like, like to me, that's a great moment of like the guy finally vanquishes the stable, kicks them all out of the ring and then defeats the guy. Like, that's cool. That's a fun story. When it's just this like random Tanahashi evil match. And I know he's feud with them for a while, but it didn't have the feel of like this big time match or whatever. Those sort of finishes I can buy when it's something like that. When it's something like, say there's an issue where, where similar to Kushida, when, when he was trying so hard to beat Bushi and, and those guys or whatever, and it took so long for him to do and he would get missed. And, and then when he finally was able to fight those dudes off and just win, it felt cool. And it's like, yeah, that's a cool moment. This was just like Tanashi just beat these guys up. They came in looking like geeks and, and that was it. And I just, I, I shut down. I didn't care. And yeah, I, I did not like the match. And, and it's pretty much all because of that. It's just, it sapped any energy I had and, and I just couldn't care. Me too. Uh, it's to me, it. the LIJ stuff is no different than the Suzuki gun stuff. I'm just tired of it. And look, I understand the story they were telling here and it was a good one in that, you know, Tanahashi has been battling evil this whole time. He's been battling LIJ with his pals this whole time. And his pals ran off LIJ, and the good guy wins in the end. But here's the thing about pro wrestling storytelling, and even uh, sometimes in a singular match basis where people say, oh, well, you know, these wrestlers, they, uh, they told a great story. And, uh, you know, and, and maybe this match did tell a good story, and it was a nice conclusion and a nice, and a nice ending to Tanahashi's battles against LIJ. But just because a, story's make, just because a, a story makes sense and it's logical – doesn't mean that you're, you're going to necessarily enjoy it. And this was not a pro wrestling story that I enjoyed. When they, I had the same feeling as you. When LIJ ran in, I, the match lost me. In the same way that the Zack Sabre Jr. matches in New Japan were ruined for me when Suzuki Gun ran in. I did, at that point, I just turned out. It's just not for me. It's not my thing. I understand that Gato's enamored with Western wrestling, and this stuff is never going away. I really just wish it was limited to one unit, though, at a time. I, I can't take it between LIJ. Yeah, well, I said it was going to be exhausting. I mean, we had this conversation. Yep. I said it was going to be exhausting once Suzuki Gun got yeah, back in. Because right. now it's it's just too much. It's just – it's and, and once you – And even Bullet get... Club now and then. Too, uh, the Bullet Club, they've cooled it a little bit with. Mm-hmm, they have, yeah. But, but you know, you're still going to see it from time to time with Bullet Club, too. And it's just like it's too much. I, I can't take it. And it really – and it takes away because, you know, I, I like the LIJ stable, but I just – I. Do they really need I look I get it they're they're ungovernable they're going to do these things but it's like and I know the story of their unit is they don't win fair I get it but and to be fair Naito has been beating guys like Ju, but, but when it comes and we'll see how the the Tanahashi match plays out with Naito but mm-hmm. I just you know it's it's you know, you got them over already with that stuff. Now I'm not so sure you need to do it. Leave it to. Yeah, it's just it's just you've seen it so much. I mean, you've seen it now going on how many years now with Suzuki Gun, with Bullet Club, with L- it's just the story. It's a good story in a vacuum, but when like three units have been doing it, you know, simultaneously for years, it, it's just you're exhausted. And I mean, it. shit, yeah. we were tired of Suzuki Gun before anybody else was. You were, you were the guy who was like, I'm tired. You you turned on not Suzuki Gun, uh, Bullet Club. You turned on Bullet Club before anybody did. I mean, you turned on Bullet Club during like the Devitt days on this show. 
I mean, we got the tape. So, I mean, you know, we're... <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, I think it was the World Tag League of like 2013 where I was like, fuck you, this. I'm you were this. ahead of the curve on that stuff because you were sick of that before. I mean, I was sick of it in 1999. <laughs> like, that was the problem. You lived through the Attitude Era. I really didn't want to see uh, an NWO parody stable, you know, in 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 New Japan. It was like, no, I, it's the reason I'm this is the reason I'm watching New Japan is because I don't want this exactly. shit in my new. And look, so. my thing was always keep it out of my world title matches, and I can live with it. Okay, keep it out of the IWGP because remember the Yujiro run in that drove me nuts. I, I mm-hmm. went on a massive rant that week when Yujiro did the run in in the title. I thought that was fucking shit. I still that's think a tape. That's a tape to get too. That was great. I, I mean, us just like yeah. not sure where this AJ Styles thing's going. Goddamn Yujiro, fuck this. But remember, Rich, we never say anything bad about New Japan ever. <laughs> never. You know that never happened. So I mean, people just people who say that don't listen. I mean, it, did you get your check in the mail uh, from Kanani? I know he said there were some issues with postage, but you got it. Oh, I'm all. It's all clear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. Cool. I'm going to Italy next month, so you know. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know why you just don't do direct deposit. It's way easier. <laughs> but, well, I do. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's just yeah, it's just it's overdone. But okay, so Naito and Juice Robinson. Um, look, this was the biggest match of Juice Robinson's career, and you know, a point that you know we find ourselves saying that a lot. How many times have we said over the past few months, this is the biggest match of Juice Robinson's career? Yeah, it's something when you have like five of your biggest matches ever in the last you know, three months or whatever, but it, it, it's true. That's indicative of a nice steady climb up the card, right? And that's a good thing. Um, look, this was a good match. I thought it, it, this told a story that I enjoyed, uh, this particular match. Um, and and it, it was sort of an extension of the Juice Robinson match against Goto, right? Where you have this guy. He's this hardworking guy who worked his way up from the dojo and worked his way up from the prelims. And, and you know, finally the fans are rallying behind him. And he's friends with Tanahashi now. And But against Goto and against Naito, he was – the story here is that he's in over his head skill-wise, right? And it's going to – if he's going to beat these guys, it's going to have to come, you know, all from his heart. It's not going to come from his skill. And, and heart just isn't enough against the likes of – of Hiroki Goto, and certainly against the likes of Tetsuya Naito. Key thing, though, key thing, Naito avoided that pulp friction like death because it beat him on the in, on the uh, cork and shell to set up this title match. Okay, so Naito was scared of the pulp friction. And the other thing is they allowed Juice to kick out of the Destino. So those yeah, I think yeah. How cool is that? That was a really important moment. That yeah, that 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 Robinson never hit his finisher on Naito, and Naito allowed. Juice to kick out of his finisher, which is is really big, and that's I think the real story of the match when it was all said and done with me is is you know it wasn't the most dynamic match, it wasn't the most jump out of your face match, it wasn't like this you know incredible match of the year type thing, but it was it was super well worked, and I thought the best part of it was that Naito went in there and said, you know what, I, I I'm gonna let Juice, I'm gonna let him have his moment. I mean that was that was Naito doing whatever he could to make Juice look like a million bucks for twenty minutes or whatever, and and, and he did when it was all said and done, Juice looked great. Naito got by with the win, but it never felt like, you know, Naito just squeaked out of there. It felt like Naito kind of had it under control whenever he wanted to. But, you know, there was a little moment there where, you know, the Destino happens and he kicks out. And it's like, okay, all right, well, now I fucked around with you for a little bit. Don't, don't, you know, and then, like, then he just put him away. And then it was like a clear, okay, no, I am better than you. But just that little moment was cool where it's just like even for a little second, Naito's got this thing where, like, ah, hold on, like, 
Now you're now you're getting kind of close here. I don't want you thinking you're going to beat me and then just beats him. But I thought it was good to make Juice feel like he, you know, for 20 minutes, maybe had a chance to beat him. Maybe if everything went right, Juice would get it. And for a minute, everything did go right. And then, you know, Naito just put it away, which I thought was just, just perfect. I thought, it, yeah, it, Naito was brilliant here. He works. Yeah, he, he was. And you know what a lot of it was is, is kind of like I think what you're alluding to. He really worked this match in a way that allowed Juice to shine. Mm-hmm. And this really did come off like I was watching this match and I'm thinking, boy, you know, Juice looks great here. He's really stepping up. But then I'm thinking, you know, this is a subtle performance by Naito here, allowing this guy to really shine in what is a very important match in his career. And it was again, to me, it was an extension of the Goto. It was very similar to the in the Goto match in structure, not necessarily work, because I thought the Goto match was more violent because it was work like a Goto match. You know, you had the straight punches to the jaw and, you, you know, the Goto match, you know, and Goto matches are different than Naito matches. Naito matches are a little more drawn out, a little more cerebral. That's the other thing. These Naito matches between the Elgin match and this match, I think they're both good examples. These Naito matches, and he sort of, you know, this kind of works into his gimmick too. Right when they're on the verge of lulling you to sleep to the point where you're starting to get bored, it sort of kicks into gear. You know what I mean? And it just has such good progression and build. This Naito, I tell you, he's he's really unique uh, in, in in that he works in that way where he kind of, it's almost like he's doing it on purpose where he starts to lull you to sleep, but there's never wasted action and there's never a wasted move in these big-time Naito uh, Intercontinental title matches. Um, the rest of the show I don't think is worth talking about, um, especially since Dantaku has taken place already, and this was sort of old news, but I did at least want to talk about the three big matches from that show. So, uh, Rich, do you, I want to go back to Super Juniors real quick. Yeah. Because I think we, we may have uh, blown some of that off too quickly. Do you see any – we talked about Taka a little bit. We kind of didn't give a ton of attention to the B block. Do you see any sleeper matches here? Like, forget the big matches that we already fawned over and wiped the drool off our faces for. Do you see any kind of sleeper matches here? Uh, I don't know if it constitutes a sleeper, but ACH and Kushida jumps off the page at, at me immediately. Um, also, in a weird way, Taguchi and ACH, I'm sure, will be a lot of fun. Like, it might be a thing where it gets, like, kind of eye-rolly or whatever at a point, but I think those two guys are going to go in there and have a, a, a decent amount of fun. Uh, and then anything with Volador Jr. I think every single year we always kind of forget that Valador Jr. is as good as he is. So a few of those guys there, you know, and particularly uh, Bushi and Valador Jr., definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Valador Jr., ACH, looking forward to. And uh, probably Valador Jr., Kushida, too. We've seen that. I think we've seen that once or twice before, but that, that'd be still a fun one. But basically, I think anything on that B block involving ACH, I'm really looking forward to. And then a few of the ones here and there. I'm, I'm, I'm worried a little bit about Desperado and Kanemaru. Not that I don't think those guys can go, because they absolutely can, but I do wonder how how reliant they're going to be on the shenanigans and the bullshit with those two. I really hope that they're not, and I hope they just let those dudes just kind of wrestle because I think then there's a potential for a lot more really good matches, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of weary of it. Like I feel, you know, I've been, I've been shocked too many times by it, or I've been, you know, hit by it too many times. So I, I, I still, part of me is like, ah, man, they're going to do, you know, like in tournaments, stupid roll-ups and stuff. Cause they need to get out of wins sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah. so, but the thing yeah. is in tournaments, they do tend to stay away from it more than on to be fair. So we'll see. I do think it's a legitimate concern, but I do think they'll stay away from it uh, in the tournament format. I think you're going to get more bullshit out of Taichi than the other guys, to be honest. Um, which is fine because Taichi is in such a stacked bracket that, all right, so even if the Taichi matches suck, there's going to be so much great shit and all of those other A block cards that it's going to be fine. I didn't get my Desperado Hiromu match that I really wanted unless Desperado makes it to the finals. 
which uh, I'm not holding my I'm not going to Vegas with that, unfortunately. Um, I really wanted to see those guys have a match against each other, but, you know, you can't put everyone in the same block, right? Would it have been nice to have... Could you imagine if Volador was in the A block instead of, like, Taka or Taichi or something? I mean, geez, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Yeah. But I mean, they got to they gotta give somebody the B block. You really do. <laughs> but but the one match, since I didn't get my Despi Hiromu match, one match I have my eye on is ACH versus Despi. Because I think those two guys kind of have that same reckless cannonball style about them. You know what I mean? I think that that could be a really cool matchup. So uh, I don't know if that would qualify. I, I guess that would qualify as under the radar, right? Is anyone really looking forward to Desperado match? No, yeah, that, that's I'm pretty certainly much, a sleeper under the radar. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much a few other people. <laughs> only guy looking. I like Desperado. I don't know. I think yeah, uh, there's yeah, something about him. <laughs> there's something about him I like. I think there's a danger to him, both because of the way he works and because, I mean, he's legitimately reckless. I mean, we've seen him have pushes stalled and they forced him to change just finisher early on because he was killing people. He does dives and he overshoots them and kills everybody in the first row. I don't know. I just really like watching the guy, and I think he could have a, a physical match against ACH. So I think that's a real sleeper match. And uh, look, and I'm not going to pull back on it. Look, he's in a tough he's in a tough block. I get it. But I said Yoshinobu Kanemura would surprise people and have a couple good super uh, super junior matches this year. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to backpedal off of it. I still think he's going to have, look, I don't think he's going to have, uh, you know, seven great matches or anything like that. But I think in the right situation, two or three of his matches are really going to surprise people because uh, I, I still have faith in the guy. I was like his only fan in the Noah days and I'll remain his only fan now. I, I like the guy a lot, but it is a tough block though. I mean, it's a trip when you've got tiger mask and, 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 to Gucci, you never know what you're going to get out of him. If it's going to be heavy on the shtick, yeah. And I forgot who it was, but somebody on our Twitter, and I'll, I'll see if I can fire it up too. New Japan knows that too, because you, in terms of live shows, like the A Block has four, something like that, and the B Block has like two. Like they know what's going. They know. Oh, the you score mean for like, not where like you're getting the full show on New Japan, World. right? Exactly. Yeah, or, or ones that are actually showing up live on New Japan World, and not like you know the next oh, day air right. type ones or whatever. I, I I'm trying to go through our, our feed right now to figure out who it was. Um, cause I wanted to give them a little bit of credit, but they said, you know, Hey, look at this, you know, it's obvious new Japan knows what the hell's going on too. And, and, and it's, it doesn't take an idiot there, you know, a, a genius to figure out that the A block is better than the B block, but, uh, it's certainly a have and have nots. I mean, that B block is there just to kind of fill out the tournament. How do you, how do you was. feel about unbalanced blocks in general? Uh, I don't care. <laughs> the day block's awesome. You know what I mean? Like it does. Like I understand from like a, a, a kayfabe perspective, it's kind of weird, and and I do think it. You know, there's there's benefits to both, but man, when that a block is as good as it is, like it's hard to complain. You know what I mean? Like when you look from a kayfabe perspective, it's like it makes no sense. The B block has <laughs> Kushida and Taguchi, and that's it. <laughs> right? Like, why are the other guys? Bushi yeah, hasn't yeah. been pushed as a single since he lost. Right, back. right, right. ACH is brand new, and none of the other guys are pushed as singles at all. So, yeah, from a kayfabe perspective, it, it makes no sense. It makes even yeah. less sense than from a, a you know, a goofy bell to bell perspective. But just in general, I mean, G1s, there's usually a stronger block than the other, but they're never this unbalanced. Never- this is like everybody in the world can see this. Like, it doesn't, t- nobody in the world is going to go, ah, you know what? I kind of think the B block, like, everybody in the world is like, yeah, A block. I can't like even that. fathom it's- an argument for the B block. Like, sometimes. Like, you'll have a G1 where you're like, yeah, I know you don't like Davey Boy Smith Jr., but I think he's good. Right. And like, oh, Shelt Benjamin's solid, so I like the B block. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you would have those years in the G1 where it's like, yeah, I know that Yano's in there, but like, the rest of those guys can still, I, I nobody in the world can make an argument for the B block. I don't think you can. 
Um, I, I don't think you can make a reasonable argument. But I, look, I, I don't mind that they did this because they said, look, we have a chance to give people Dragon Lee Hiromu. We have a chance to give people Will Ospreay, Marty Skrull. And we have a chance to give people Ricochet versus Will Ospreay. Yeah, so we're going to fucking <laughs> do it. I mean, think about it. Those are three of the, of, of the best matches in the world over the last few years. And we're going to get them all again. Man, it's just it's it's so hard not to be excited. I mean that that A block is just gonna kill it every night. All right, so that's a lot of New Japan. And to be fair, we haven't done a ton of New Japan um probably since my show with Semp. So um, you know, people got plenty this week. Yeah, you wanna move on to uh, I got a, some other news here going on in do you wanna stay in Japan or do you wanna move over to uh the United States? Because I got a lot of good stuff going on in the United States as well. Let's uh well we got payback too. We, sh- we, do, we should no, probably yeah. do payback. All right, I'll hold you payback. God I, damn I really, you, Rich, you really have you. you you're just, you. I gotta tell you, are you gonna pull a Sitterson and 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 eliminate WWE from the show? I, I'm really, I got a I real hard I'm time not, getting you to talk about WWE. I'm, I'm done. I just it doesn't do anything. It's a good anything. show though. It was a very good show, but it's just like the problem is like I, I feel like my my strong thoughts about WWE are like yeah that was a good show that was a good match don't care like I have completely detached from caring about the booking caring about who wins caring like because I have like my, my buddies trying to text me about like oh what do you think of this what do you, and I'm just like I don't I don't care who cares. Like I've reached that point with them where, where you always said that you, you know, would go in and out of these phases yeah. where it's like, I don't care. Yeah. Alexa bliss one versus Bailey. I, who gives a shit? The Bray Wyatt beat I, I, the results don't matter to me. If the matches are good, they're good. But like, I can't come on here and give like strong, you know, impassioned arguments about this versus this. It's like, yeah, good match. Good match. Good match. Good match. Okay. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, I, listen, I, it, it, I think it's because like I said, that, like you can't break down the booking in this company because it doesn't fucking matter. So it really just comes down to aesthetically, did you like the matches or not? And if you're not emotionally attached and we don't have the business to break down, then I can see where you're coming from. It's kind of tough. You're in one of those. Look, I've been there with this company and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm in love with the company right now, but there's enough things that I like. I think NXT has been good for three or four weeks in a row. I think 205. You know what you should do, Rich? I'm going to tell you what you should do. Stop watching Raw. Stop watching. Oh, I stopped doing that weeks ago. So like, you're one step. Ahead. I watch. I'm exclusively a YouTube uh, a viewer now of of Raw. Like you should listen. This is what you need to do. Start watching okay. NXT and 205 Live because they're both really good right now. I promise. Okay. They've all right. They've been on a run. Both of those shows have been good. Yeah, I'm going to take over, so I might as well kind of get involved there with NXT go. again. Perfect. Okay. Go back and watch the last two or three NXTs. Get caught up. And wh- and plus, those shows are only an hour long. You're in and out. They're not even an hour. They're like 40 minutes, 45, 48 minutes, whatever it is. So you're in and you're out. Wait, NXT is an hour, right? Isn't 205? NXT is an hour, yeah. yeah. 205 Hold is like 48 yeah. minutes or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they're, they're easy watches, too. But that's the best thing happening in this company, or those two shows, in my opinion. Uh, did you blow off the pre-show match? Of course I did. Yeah, of course I did. It was six minutes long. Yeah, they get three hours of my time. They're not getting another six. Right, listen, you're the you're you're. What would? Well, then I have to sit. Then I have to sit and watch that stupid fucking pre-show thing, which is right, awful. You know like when the match is gonna start. Right. Like if I knew if it was like the the free for all or whatever. Like free for alls back in the day, I loved because or Sunday night heats or whatever because you knew that when the matches were gonna come. But now it's like they'll just throw it in at the bottom of the hour, and then I have to hear like Booker T and Lita spew. I mean, when Lita was on the booth, it would like I don't want to watch that shit. I don't want to know. I, I want to just sit down, and that's when I know that the matches are happening and. Yeah, so I, I skipped. Rich's it. tone, like he's all excited about New Japan, <laughs> and then we start talking about this company, and he just makes me mad. I don't, yeah, he didn't even remember we need. He's ready to talk about all Japan, and he forgot <laughs> that we got talking about Suji Shikawa. Damn it! 
All right, so I watched the match. It was fine. Uh, the opener, Chris Jericho and Kevin. <laughs> How's that for analysis? Yeah, it was fine. Rich, Rich blew off the match, and I said I watched the match, and it was fine. Why are you? See, that's why I don't watch it's it because like, that would be my feedback too. Yeah, it was fine. It's like, why are we even doing this? We should just fucking blow it off. Um, Chris Jericho, uh, Kevin Owens. Okay, so I don't know if this surprised you, but I was paying attention to the betting line, so it did not surprise me. There was a giant swing in the betting odds uh, that tipped off that Jericho was going to win the title. But I did think it surprised a decent amount of people, and then they had Owens win the title back on SmackDown. I don't have a problem with that. I think, uh, you know, that was a situation where they figured, all right, we could talk Chris into showing up on SmackDown, and since everyone in the world thinks Kevin Owens is winning, we can throw a little surprise out there. Did you have any problem with that? I did not. No, I didn't. No, and I actually, I really liked this match. That was the best that these two have had, and I thought it was really cool to see all the callbacks Even to, to previous matches the that they had. headlocks by Kevin Owens. You yeah, but I think it worked. I think it all worked in the context of the match, too, because too. It, it just, for whatever reason, it just clicked this time with these two uh, like it hadn't really before, and I thought Owens did a great job of kind of controlling the ring and doing, you know, his style of a match, and, and Jericho, I thought, was, was good, and the, and the crowd really rallied behind Jericho and really wanted Jericho to win, too, and I think that's an important thing, too. People are, are invested in Chris Jericho right now, which is amazing. I would have never thought that this would happen again with Jericho, but he's so damn good that this guy can reinvent himself, you know, six times and still get the crowd just wait. And the crowd just wanted him to win, even though I think a lot of them probably in the audience thought, ah, there's no chance he's going to win, but hey, let's go out there and, and, and see what happens. And then when he won, like the explosion was, was incredible. Like they just were so shocked that he won. And I thought just the, the, the callbacks of, you know, you know, him stomping Owens' hand so he can't, or stopping the finger so he can't get the finger on the rope to do it. So it was just really fun, smart comebacks. And it, it's just uh, two smart guys getting in the ring and, and, and having a, a match that had a plenty of callbacks and a lot of really fun stuff. So I love this match. Yeah, it was my probably my favorite match on the entire card. Wow. Okay, that's a surprise. Uh, Neville Austin Aries, this one ends. Remember last week we talked about you don't really want to take the title off of Neville right now because he's doing such a great job with it, but you can't really beat Austin Aries yet again either because <laughs> they agreed. <laughs> yeah. So they found a way out of it with the DQ. I got to be honest. This was one of my favorite DQ finishes in a long time. I thought this worked for the story. I thought it worked in protecting both guys. This is why, this is why bookers came up with DQ finishes to begin with for situations like this. And I thought that this one worked. Normally I'd come on here and bitch and complain about no clean finish because Joe Lanza is basically giant Baba, you know, circa 1993 when it comes to the, I, I, I want clean finishes all the fucking time. This worked for me though. This was one of my favorite DQs in a long time. Uh, and I thought it was a good way to get out of a tricky situation and it extends a really good feud. What did you think of the finish? Are you on board with it like I was? Yeah, maybe not to the same extent, but I didn't hate it as much as some people did. I thought it was, you know, and some people immediately always think DQs are like cop-outs or whatever. And I don't think this was a cop-out. I thought it was it, it was done well enough that I think it got the story over. And that's really the thing that you want to do when it's all said and done, regardless of what the finish was. If it, if it helps progress the story and doesn't feel like a complete, you know, waste of time, um, it's pretty good. So, yeah, I, I, I was fine with it. And... I don't really have any big complaints like a lot of people. I didn't love it maybe on the same level you did, but, but I, I didn't. I, I certainly didn't hate it like a lot of people I did. think you nailed it. This was not a cop-out disqualification at all. This was a- no. It, it progressed the story. It wasn't just like we said that they they were in an untenable situation where they you know they were they booked themselves in a corner and nobody could lose and nobody could really win or whatever. Um, and sometimes that can be a cop out, but I thought that they did it in this sense where it, it really worked with the story. So yeah, I, I, I was had no. I thought they would whatsoever. just beat Aries because it's two oh five guys and who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? So just beat. Or I thought T.J. Perkins would run in one or the other. So this kind of caught me by surprise, and I thought it. 
it, it, it fit Neville's character and all of those sorts of things too. Look, I, I, I thought it was a good match and I, I, I really liked the finish. And then we had the Hardy boys successfully defending against Cesaro and Sheamus. Uh, Jeff Hardy loses a tooth. The Hardys are over delivering in the ring. At least that's my take. Um, we'll see what you think about that. I want to know what you think about that point first. And then uh, second, what did you think of the match overall? Cause I thought this was a, this was a, uh, this was an excellent match. And I think the Hardys continue uh, to deliver in the ring uh, and exceed my expectations bell to bell. Yeah, this was actually um, uh, the, the match when it was when it was over. I was I was wondering because I saw a lot of rumblings. I watched the I watched the first half of Payback like uh, two days later. Like the, on the day of Payback, I was doing a bunch of stuff, so I watched like the main event and the, the final three or four matches um, the night of, and then I went you know the next day I would go back and watch you know the, the undercard or whatever. And and as it was going on, I saw a bunch of people going like, oh man, that undercard wasn't very you know I, on my timeline. I saw or on our timeline, I saw a lot of people really down on the undercard. When this match was over, I was like, what are people complaining about? This undercard's awesome because this match was really good too. I mean, I, I think I'm right with you in terms of the Hardys. I thought they would sag off at a point, and, and Matt, in particular, I thought would just kind of lay low for a little bit. I knew Jeff was always going to go balls to the wall because Jeff doesn't know anything else. Hey, man, I mean, even listen, on CNA shows, he drinks Mountain, he same. drinks Mountain Dew and rides dirt bikes. He's never going to stop right. going one hundred percent. No, and like even on even on like and you, and you knew that back in TNA. I mean, that guy in front of a hundred people at the Impact Zone would 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 dive off a cage and do you know a backflip. It is guy's nuts, and he'll always give it one hundred ten percent no matter what. So you knew Jeff was going to do that, but I thought Matt would sort of say, "Okay, I'm I'm where I need to be. I'll get comfortable again." But I thought Matt's been very good as well. I mean, he's obviously a step slower than Jeff, but he's always been a step slower than Jeff. He's always been the more methodical of the two. So no, I think Dave really impressed, and I thought uh, Cesaro and Sheamus are looking good. Uh, ideally, Sheamus won't knock out everybody's teeth and not injure everybody in the world, but I. Thought I thought it added a nice little. I mean, it, it sucks that it, it like cost Jeff Hardy his, his tooth or whatever, but I thought it added a nice little element to the match too because I, I went in knowing that that happened, and once that happened, it felt like the match took on a little bit more of a dangerous tone or whatever. So, so I actually enjoyed the stiffness out of those guys versus the Hardys, and I thought they 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 had a very unique and fun match. And yeah, I was I was it was definitely a three for three show at this point for me. Sheamus might be in the doghouse, according to some uh, dark Twitter sources. Rich, what do you think about that? Um, should he not be uh, kicking people's teeth out or? Uh... Yeah, but I mean, if th- this is what's going to put him in the doghouse and not like you know ending Daniel Bryan's career, he's or, like, always like, worked stiff. That's what I mean. Like now, I don't think you can be like, ah, oh, buddy, uh, you got to be careful. Like you should have told him to be careful two and a half years ago, three years ago, four years I ago. Think I mean, this, this look, is... I think this just is what he is. He's a guy who works stiff, uh, you know, and you can kind of get away with that if you're a top star, but it's really hard to get away with that when you're a mid carter. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is just the future for him. It's just always in tag teams and all, and because of that. But yeah, I I, I don't know that I put it. I, I don't buy that he's in a doghouse just because why would he not be in a doghouse years prior? I mean, this guy has always done this. He's had many. I mean, there's numerous examples of Seamus, you know, stiffing guys. If he's not in a, if he wasn't in a doghouse two years ago, I, I, I don't think this is going to put him in the doghouse now. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Is this where we are with Cesaro? Is this it for him? Just his, uh... mm-hmm. yeah. You know what? What's interesting about Cesaro is no one even says this guy should be a main eventer. Like, now nah, they gave up. It's like the Dolph Ziggler thing. Remember when for four years people were Dolph, Dolph, it's... Dolph, Dolph, and you it know was what's just interesting, like, though? I don't it's, care. Anymore. It's with Dolph, they gave up. With with Cesaro, I don't even think it's so much that people have given up. It's odd. People have turned on the idea. There's a lot of uh, people saying things like he can't be a main eventer. That's why he never was, and. This is what he is, and I. No, <laughs> that I don't agree with. I think he very no. well. There were times where they could have continued to push him, and he could have been, uh, you know, a main event level guy. Um, but now, I, it may be too late. I don't know. You know, I say that, but you, you know, if you can flip the switch on Jinder Mahal, can you flip the switch on Cesaro? 
right? I mean, you can really flip the switch on anyone you want, right? It's just a matter of whether it takes. So I don't know. But but I the point is, I don't think they ever will flip the switch on Cesaro. I think this is where he is now. Um, Alexa Bliss and Bailey. I want to talk about this one first because I spent a lot of time last week banging on Alexa Bliss and saying that she needed to step up in a big spot and have a big... It's got to be a better uh, phrasing than, than that. Bang- I didn't say banging on Alexa Bliss. I said banging on Alexa Bliss. I oh, almost I, as- I did not you know hear the <laughs> Now that I said that out loud, it's probably just as bad. Um, For the record, I have not banged Alexa Bliss. I know that might be hard for... I'm shocked. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. Yeah. But I spent a lot of time last week um picking on Alexa Bliss. Is that better? There we go. Yeah, I think that works better. A little Alexa Bliss. Banging, banging on a little Alexa Bliss. Yeah, yeah I didn't bang her, um, but I did pick on her a little bit. And, um, you know, look, I, I thought my criticisms were fair. I don't think she's had great pay-per-view matches. I I think that she's a, uh, coming into this, she's a little bit over in on her head uh, in terms of level of push. But, uh, you know, so I have to be fair and come on this week and say that I thought her tr- performance was tremendous. I thought Bailey was tremendous as well. I thought this was a great women's uh, title match. I thought Alexa Bliss held up her end. I thought this was the best match of Alexa Bliss's career. And um, I don't have a major look. The whole thing with Bailey losing in her hometown. Look, can we give that up? Look, that's just this company perversely gets off on this and we need to be used to it by now. Okay. I mean, I, I had enough with the complaining about people losing in their hometown. I don't even think about that anymore. It's, it's almost a given that they're going to do that. It's just the guy on top, he just gets off on it. I don't know why. No one can explain why. It's just, you know, but I mean, so the title change doesn't bother me at all. All I know is I watched a heck of a match and Alexa Bliss impressed the shit out of me. And I haven't watched Raw yet, but I was told that she was excellent on Raw as well. So um, if I'm going to pick on somebody the week before, when they prove me wrong, I've got to put them over. So that's why I wanted to, uh, you know, um, uh, get my thoughts out on this first. What did you think of this match? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, on the topic of, you know, losing in the hometown or whatever. Yeah, it, it, to me, it annoyed me with the Bailey because I think that's just a surefire thing that, like, it makes so much sense to have Bailey just be somebody that 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 wins in her hometown. If it's anybody, and I get why, like, some people, you're like, ah, we don't – because you can't do it with everybody. Some guys are going to have to lose in their hometown. Some, some girls are going to have to lose in their hometown. But Bailey is a particular one where I would – really hone in on that moment because she's one that i think is it could be important to the company in terms of, of of reaching certain demographics and reaching certain people so that's not a person that i would have losing their hometown you, you know what i mean like that I, yeah but when it's also you can't get mad at it because that's a thing i mean if you've watched WWE for more than two years you know that that's a thing and you know that vince mcmahon just thinks that that's how you have you book hometowns you you have them losing the hometown and you get the dashley hill because then they're going to want to come back and watch the dashley hill next time like he thinks that and he's stuck with it and he's never going to change it's always always going to be so i i can't get mad for it about uh, about it for too long but yeah as far as a match i mean it way over delivered to expectations for me because we you know i i i was here on record saying last week that i thought that the bailey wouldn't let it get out of control but i thought that bailey would have to work hard to make sure that alexa you, you know stayed on track and, and and didn't go too wild and and, and really kind of honed in on what, what she's great at but i thought when it was all said and done alexa was the more impressive one when the match was done like she controlled that ring i mean that that's unbelievable for someone that we talked about last week of how inexperienced she really is but i thought alexa dominated this match in terms of like you know the optics or whatever and i thought yeah it was it it, it just worked perfectly well and and she's you know, as you said, we kind of picked on her last week in terms of her in-ring or whatever, but you can see the character work and you can see why so many people are so high on her. And, and, and yeah, this match I thought was uh, maybe her, her best all-around performance that she's ever had in the, in, in the, oh, in I, I the main roster. Yeah. I can't think of yeah. a better one main roster or otherwise. I'm no. Yeah. So I, I think it's, yeah, well, yeah, NXT, there's not really any shining examples here. So yeah, I thought this was definitely 
uh, the definitive Alexa Bliss match, and and I'm excited to see where this goes because you know they've they've kind of now said it. They've been a big moment when she won too. They said, oh, she's the first women to win, you know, the Raw and the SmackDown Women's Championships, and you know they don't they don't say those throwaway lines unless they mean it. You know what I mean? There's there's always something behind that when they want to really shine a light on when somebody has done something. You know, for so long they didn't say anything about Charlotte's pay per view streak, and then they did. And you know, anytime they, they anything the announcers say in WWE is usually when it's not like you know, there's obviously your, your few that that just say inane crap all the time and or whatever. But when it's one of those particular moments, especially like the first thing you hear after a pinfall is like this big announcement and this big thing. Like, there's a reason behind that. Sure. They, that's being that's being put on a sheet and bolded and underlined of say this when she wins. So it's important, and they think that there's something there. So I'm excited to see where the ride goes. Yeah, it's a narrative that they want to pound home. Um, Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe, this, I, I saw this taking a beating in a lot of places, but I really enjoyed this match. I think as high as you were on Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho, I think this was the match for me. I thought Samoa Joe worked a brilliant match here and he worked it around Seth Rollins leg. I thought Seth sold the the leg tremendously. And I, 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 this, this match held my attention from beginning to end. And sometimes these leg matches, if they're not well worked, will not do that. And you'll You'll, you know, my attention will drift. Um, you know, just look at Triple H, Seth Rollins at WrestleMania for, <laughs> for Exhibit A of that. But I thought Samoa Joe was great here. I think Samoa Joe is clearly not the wrestler that he was. I think I, I, everybody listening would agree with that. But I think Samoa Joe is doing a lot of smart things in the ring. We saw that in NXT with his great character work and the way he works some of those matches and the same thing here. I think he understands his limitations. I think he understands it's not 2005. I think he understands he can't go as hard as he used to, but I I do think he still has uh, you know it's it, the mental acumen to put together uh, compelling matches. And I, look, I don't think this was any kind of a great match or anything like that, but I thought it was a compelling match, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I don't know if I enjoyed it quite as much as you, but I was sort of in the middleman on this because I saw a lot of people that really hated this match and really despised it and thought it was boring and thought it was awful. I didn't think it was anything like that. I thought it was pretty solid, but yeah, I was. I, I'm just always kind of left disappointed by Samoa Joe now, and I guess I need to sort of re reexamine what I think of him and what I expect from him when he gets in the ring because I have this issue where like I'll go back and watch old Ring of Honor and I'm like, oh man, like, and then I watch these and it's just it's not the same Samoa Joe, and I just got to get used to the fact that that it's not TNA Prime Samoa Joe, it's not ROH. Samoa Samoa Joe. It's 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 better than like late TNA Samoa Joe, who just did not give a shit whatsoever. It's a guy that clearly gives a shit, but it's just physically he can't do the same things he used to do. So I kind of have to maybe in my mind sort of re recalibrate my expectations when a Samoa Joe match is out there, and and, and then maybe I'll enjoy it a little bit more because I'm always left a little disappointed when it's all said and done. And that's not to say this one wasn't very good because I thought it was it was solid, but I, I always go in expecting way more than I ever get. He's a large human who took crazy bumps and worked very hard for a long time. And he's 37 or 38 years old now. So, um, you know, that's starting to take its toll. I think it's, look, he's a smart guy by all accounts. He's a good human being and all of those things. And I think it's great that he's getting this run here and a chance to make some, probably the biggest money. Look, he made some good money in TNA. They paid him a lot of money for a long time, but he's having a chance to make the best money of his career, you know, in an upper mid card spot in this company, you know, at the twilight, at the end, this is a guy who worked hard and 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 uh, and and probably deserves it. So uh, good for him. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm enjoying his stuff more than other people are. I'll, I'm okay with being the outlier if that's the case. And then we had we're gonna get to the House of Horrors. Don't you worry about that. But then we had uh, <laughs> Braun Strowman defeating Roman Reigns. I thought this was the best match on the show. I went a four flat, I believe, on this, which is the same. You know, this this is two straight. 
singles matches that they've had on pay-per-view uh, that I thought were great matches. Um, look, I, I look, I think that they work well together. I think Braun Strowman, I don't want to get into the book. Look, I just, I can't do it anymore. I, I've officially tapped out on it. I just, I, it's exhausting for me to even, you could hear my voice kind of dying. It's like, I, I really can't get into Strowman winning versus Roman losing. And I, I can't do Roman anymore. I can't, it's, it's gotten to the point where I'm defeated. It's pointless. What are we really doing? I mean, Roman's the guy. What else is there to say? I they it, it's it's so I I can't do it anymore. All I want to say is I really enjoyed the match, and I'm just gonna hand it over to Rich. I can't. I can't. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it too, and I thought um the result was the best thing to do with it, with having Strowman win. But yeah, there was a lot of people I, I I noticed on our timeline of like, oh, people say that Roman Reigns is protected, but here he is losing again. I was like, okay, he got he got put in an ambulance, <laughs> like he got like literally murdered like two weeks ago, came back taped up. Went toe-to-toe with this guy for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever, loses, and then after the match, beats the guy up again. So, like, yeah, you know, he lost, but this idea that, like, oh, he's not protected. Look, he lost again. It's like, eh, okay, whatever. Like I, like you said, it's exhausting. I, I thought the best result, and I thought the match was good, too. Uh, maybe not in the same level of four stars. I thought maybe I'd, I'd probably go about a three. Um, just because I'm not sure it really escalated that, but it was a dangerous match, and and it was I thought booked well because Strowman looked like a, a million bucks here. I I hated the booking coming into the match because it just it was so much that you needed to get this over. I mean, it was one of those matches. It was like an old Attitude Era thing where like Stone Cold would get run over by a car, like his limo would be crushed, he'd be buried under sand, and then he would just like come out and like you know win the match. It's like then you, you when you do all that stuff in the build up, it just makes the match seem like insignificant. Let's go. Okay, well now we're going to have a wrestling match after you've just, you know, toppled my ambulance and and ran me over with a car or whatever. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, I it's hear what you're silly to get to that I point. I hear what like, you're saying and you're making good points. Um I just judged it as a bell to bell match. And I, I thought it yeah, was yeah. I thought it was violent. I thought it was nasty. I thought it felt different than a lot of WWE. It definitely felt different than your typical WWE style main event. Yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. You know, it was it was in and out in ten minutes. Kick I mean, outs and those sorts yeah, of you know, yeah. it was just a violent, nasty match worked within the context of the feud. Um and, and I think Strowman does bring a different element to the tops to the um to the top of WWE's cards. And I thought Roman, um, Roman always sells tremendously. That's been one of his strengths from day one. So in a match like this or a match like Lesnar at WrestleMania, he's always going to shine and contribute greatly to a match like that. Because that, I, honestly, I think that's what Roman is best at. I think Roman is best at selling. I think that's his biggest strength um, as a worker is putting over a beating mm-hmm. and selling. I think he's great at that. Um but but yeah no no I I thought this match was violent and nasty and Roman was great and and Braun was great and um all the other stuff I Rich I just I can't anymore I just I don't you know what it's like you let off at the beginning of this I just don't give a fuck I really don't care um about where they're going with Roman anymore look the bottom line is you know Strowman can beat this guy on every pay per view until he look the bottom line is at the end of the day Roman Reigns is winning this feud I don't care what anybody says I don't care. What happens on Raw the next night? I don't care what happens next month. I don't care what happens when Braun faces Brock. At the end of the day, Roman Reigns is winning this feud. Whether it's the right decision, the wrong decision, I can't do it anymore. But he's winning this feud. He's beating Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. They're not changing course. And it, regardless of whether they should or shouldn't, I don't, I, that, that's not, I don't care. And I don't want to get into it. I'm just saying that they're not going to. Roman, it's full steam ahead. It's the Roman Reigns train, choo-choo, get on board, 
or get the fuck off or just don't or stop caring because that's that's the direction they're moving. All I know is this was one hell of a match. Um, House of Horrors, Rich. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't think we can do this justice. This was this was the biggest piece of shit that they've put on their air in a long, long time. I'm not going to say ever because we've had we've had Katie Vick. We've had, um, you know, Paul Bearer being murdered by the Dudleys. I do have that story, right? Right? Wasn't it the Dudleys? Oh, that is correct. Yeah, they, they put con- they buried him in concrete. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we've had, um, you know, we've had 80-year-old women giving birth to hands. Um, you, you know, so I, I'm not going to sit here. I can't tell you it was the worst thing they've ever done, but it was an absolute piece of shit. I mean, the whole thing was just silly with the spooky music and throwing refrigerators on each other. And it was so Lucha Underground. And I don't mean that as a compliment because I don't like Lucha Underground. Um, It was just goofy. It was over the top. Um, There were plot holes. Randy Orton stopped to shave before he came back to the arena. I don't know if you caught that. (laughs) It was... So I mean, <laughs> it was it was pitch black at six thirty p.m. Yeah, in the and, West I mean, Coast. and it's like those things. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> no, those matter. I mean, people could say that that fucking matters. That kind of st- that's the stuff that bothered me the least about it, though. The continuity. oh, really? Yeah, that 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 kills me as somebody who like you know produces video or whatever. Because yeah. like you, I couldn't get away with that if I did that on a high school assignment. My 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 you know my professor, or my my teacher, or whatever would would fail me because he would go, you, you ruined all the continuity in one second. I see. Look, I'm not. Look, it's it's funny and it's 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 a poor job. I but it's like what offends me more is that they would do something like this in the first place. No one wants to see this shit. And I mean, this was just panned from every corner. I mean, again, if there's people who are into this Bray Wyatt stuff, Rich, I'm honest to God, I'm not finding them. I mean, even like your 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 sort of what we call the universe fans, where all they follow is WWE and that's just what they're into and. They like to wear their replica belts to house shows and, you know, even that kind of fan. I don't even see them putting over Bray Wyatt in this sort of – everybody laughs and mocks at this stuff. I don't know who's enjoying it. And maybe I'm off base. Maybe Bray Wyatt is wildly popular among some section of fans somewhere. I'm just not seeing it. I mean, I I, I don't have a – I'm sure people are waiting for clever jokes and for us to just go all – look, I just thought it was fucking stupid. And it's it's the kind of thing where – when you're watching wrestling and people walk in the room, this is the last thing you want to be on the screen is something like this, where you have to attempt to explain this to a non-wrestling fan. As to yeah, why, I, I had to explain this to the nurse, which yeah, was... Yeah, and you're a grown adult, and you have to explain <laughs> like, Sorry. why you watch this fucking garbage, because that's what this is. It's absolute fucking garbage that nobody enjoys, so... I don't know. I don't have clever jokes. I'm right. Yeah, I, I, I people are probably gonna be disappointed too because I don't really have a whole lot to say either. Because basically, when and I, when I said the preview too, is it, I would know within a minute of this thing if I was gonna hate it, if I was gonna love it, or if I was just gonna be indifferent on it. If like they made it campy and they immediately said, "Hey, this is a joke. This is kind of funny. We know it's stupid, or whatever." I might have enjoyed it. I might have enjoyed the perverseness of it. Or if they did something else, I might have really enjoyed, you know, certain aspects of it. But within a second, he pulled up and then like ominous music played. And I knew I said, no, they're going to make this thing seem like it's serious. Like they're going to make and then I immediately shut it off. 
and I didn't care. You know I mean, I, I, I watched it, but I mean, shut I off shut your off. brain. You mean? Yeah. And I just went, okay, whatever. Like just kind of let's get this thing over with. And the, 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 the background music played. And I just said, okay, I, you lost me. Like, cause it's, it was overproduced. It made no sense. It had continuity issues, which I, I care about a lot. And, and that was, and it's just like, if you're going to do this thing, like it's just a don't, <laughs> if you're going to do this thing, my first option is a don't. Or B, understand that there's a certain camp factor to it when you do it and embrace that. I mean, the Hardys, I think, were do, uh, did a very good job of sort of embracing that. Yeah, this is, you know, we're trying to make it, but it's kind of campy. It's funny. We know it's kind of a joke. Like, haha, hint, hint, you know, nudge, nudge or whatever. Making it seem like, oh, man, Bray Wyatt's compound and there's babies hanging and all. It wasn't, I, I don't know if they think it's funny. I don't think they do. I think they think it's like something like legitimately scary or whatever, but I just couldn't care and I immediately tuned out. And then the match itself, when they actually got back in the ring, fucking sucked. So, these guys are awful. This worst feud of the year, no doubt. I think they've locked it up. Um, and that might have been the worst match of the year as well. So, um, yeah, I, I shut my brain off within a minute and, and just I, I I couldn't possibly care less. I, I, I can't say I hated it, but I don't know. I just didn't care. It, it, was, it, it came and went and my brain will never think about it ever again until Observer Award season when I have to write it down for worst match of the year. So there's there's about three awards that are locked up. This is the worst feud of the year. This... Oh, that's that's we can we can put that ballot. I mean, there is nothing that's going to happen this year. Yeah, I mean, what else could possibly happen this I, year? I, that I, would top? You can't. This is the worst match of the year. And to me, TK Cooper is the most improved wrestler of the year. I don't think he'll win the award, but to me, he's locked it up on my ballot. I mean, I can't imagine voting for anybody else other than TK Cooper for most improved. To me, those are three awards that are locked up. And I'll tell you what. I think Okada is coming dangerously close to locking up that Flair Thez. And I know I, I'm saying this on May 3rd. But when you look at, and I haven't seen the Folly match yet, but when you look at the, the run of main event matches he's had in terms of quality, and you look at him, at the business side of what he's done, just drawing sellout after sellout, I, I don't even think anyone's close to Okada now for Flair Thez. And here's the thing. He's got Dominion in front of him. If that show draws and you know the match, look, the match against Omega is going to be great. I mean, that's just an absolute given. But if that show draws and then he's got a G1 in front of him and then he's got big matches in Long Beach in front of him and then you've got, you know, whatever he's going to do with Power Struggle and Dominion. I mean, holy shit, Rich. This guy has a year's worth of a resume under his belt already and it's only May 3rd and he has all of this stuff in front of him. I think Okada is starting to pull away in the Flair Thez. But I don't know why I brought that up. Only because I guess you brought up that this is the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> runaway worst feud of the year but um you, you know you look at observer calendar though and we're more than 33 percent of the way home it's crazy it's true yeah it's crazy but it goes fast man it really does so when you're a third of the way through the year i think it's fair to start talking about awards i mean there, a couple years ago everyone was talking about awards in january and that was just fucking annoying but i mean <laughs> you know we're, we're third you know we're more than a third of the way through. but I, i'm fairly confident this is going to lock up uh the the worst feud no doubt i mean that has it, to be just yeah, there's no contender, and I don't think there's going to be a contender this year. So yeah, that's that's payback. What, so. what is Bray Wyatt? I mean, let's break this down. He's like, <laughs> do we have to? No, really, I don't want like, to. Like, <laughs> I think it'll be pretty quick, though. I mean, okay. What the fuck is he supposed to be? I mean, uh, his... Guy that smells. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really quite sure what it is anymore. Dirty wizard. I mean, you know, <laughs> dirty magician guy that owns real estate. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure. What's his motivation? What's his fucking problem? Yeah, nothing, why does he fight? What is he trying to do? Nothing he says makes sense. Sometimes he has a stable. Sometimes he doesn't. Um, you know, what were Luke Harper and Eric Rowan getting out of the relationship? Like, what? what is Bray Wyatt? And here's the thing. This motherfucker thinks he's so clever. 
I mean, he he really thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and he really thinks this is some brilliant next level. Get- oh yeah, and, and and don't think the writers don't either. There's probably a handful of writers that just love writing his shit too, because it's like fun and unique, and they can go. You know, I'm, I'm sure backstage they they fucking love it because it's 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 like Kane was for all those years. I mean, Kane during the Attitude Era, they could just do whatever they wanted. It was it was the the you know with you can't do that with every other guy. You can't just have a you know random ex wrestler just have him you know do these wild things and shoot fire and and do this and bury this guy and and do that you know but you can do that with certain guys and and unfortunately Bray Wyatt has now become that you know the blank canvas you can do whatever you want with this character and I think writers probably love it and I'm sure Vince loves it and I'm sure Bray Wyatt loves it too doing whatever you want with a character isn't always an advantage when nothing you do with him oh and I agree there's no depth to this guy he's just they think it's probably the best. And they Bray probably write down one of those best. promos. He, he, yeah, they recite those promos, and it's like, oh, we nailed it. Look at that promo. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't fucking say anything. You, you just talked for 10 minutes. Do you yeah. ever remember a thing he says? Like, he, No, you don't he remember a second. He talks forever, and I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? I, I, You know, and it's like – and this guy lives the gimmick, and, and you know, I've heard – I've heard um, – heard, uh, why is his name blanking on me? The guy who does uh, – um, uh, I've heard um, Sam Roberts do interviews with this guy. And, you know, he does them like half in character and half not in character. And he talks about how brilliant he is and how he's the greatest thing to ever happen. And this this guy legitimately believes that he's some kind of next level savant when it comes to, you know, being a wrestling character. And I, I just, there's just nothing there with this guy. I think you said it right. He's he, it's Bray Wyatt guy who smells. I mean, what what else? <laughs> That's all I got right now. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck else is he? I mean, you know, and it's like, I, I, I just don't get it. And it's not like his matches are anything special. And, and unfortunately, I think we're stuck with this guy and this sort of shit for the next decade, because I think they see him as sort of a cornerstone character. Don't you get that feeling that they see him as like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and he's always going to be floating around like, you know, the main event scene. I, I, and that's kind of scary because there's really nothing to this guy. You know what he's like? He's like, okay, he's kind of like the, you know, a goth kid in school. Like he's a, he's a, he, 